And we're live. Well, welcome to the live roundtable for Wednesday, January 31st. This is Lieutenant Colonel Murray. We're joined by Matt Bracken, soon to have uh, Colonel Piper, Colonel, Colonel Conrad, and probably Colonel Johnson. And of course, we have Troop. Greetings. And lots to talk about tonight. Tons, tons of things going on. But uh, the thing that I wanted to start with is that there's a lot of speculation around what happened to our troops in uh, in uh, the Jordan uh, the Jordanian Syrian border, and uh, troop, you want to talk through that one since you have the domain knowledge and it looks like we've yeah. Lost. Well, yeah, Matt will come back. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about this. My understanding with the with the attack was we send out drones basically surveilling. So you have remote controlled aircraft flying around. Every forward operating base is going to have some type of air defense. And the air defense knows when the drones are coming in. So they don't necessarily stand down, but they know what the friendlies are in the pattern. And apparently what happened was the uh the the enemy uh, has been looking at these patterns and they they orchestrated a plan to inter intermix their own attack drones with our returning isr assets so they all just kind of filed in and then when they got across the line they weren't uh you know they weren't either they weren't detected or they didn't know or could not identify them but they didn't take any countermeasures. So these Iranian drones just came right in on the wire. And then once they, once they got in, you know, inside the forward operating base, they prosecuted their targets. So it, it literally was just like cutting in line, blending with, with all the friendlies and then, uh, you know, and then rain and fire down. And then we lost three servicemen as a result. Now, I don't know the details. I don't know how many drones. Um, I don't know any specifics of it, but my understanding is that's exactly what they did. They waited for our drones to fly out. They waited for them to return. They mixed their drones in with our drones on the way in so that we wouldn't shoot them down. And then they, you know, and then they attacked that base. So if you've a couple of things about this, so it hit, supposedly hit the, what's called Tower 21. I don't know what that means in English as far as the base goes. But if you uh, if you know anything about the way the Iranians actually operate, they are they are they have during the Iraq war, they would literally drive onto our fobs, speak perfect English, look exactly like American, you know, contractors have, you know, flawless uniforms and, or, uh, you know, equipment that look just like Blackwater or global security or one of the others get on, get on the base, dismount their vehicles and hose a bunch of people. This is their MO. This is their, um, the way they operate. Now, whether this was Houthis, Iranians, whatever the case, what it shows is a sophistication in both surveillance and a sophistication in the way that they're conducting operations. So um, it, this, is a, this is a common pattern that we've seen over the last 10 years. And what are, you know, what's important about this? What's sailing about this? Doesn't matter who's behind it, right? They're going to, the, the U.S. is trying to say Iran's behind it, could be a third party, could be an Iranian-sponsored group, doesn't matter. What matters is the sophistication of the attack because it shows that they have matured their operations, they've matured their surveillance, they've matured their ISR assets, 
and they've matured all of their their planning which if you if you go back in history you can go back as, as far as you know the seven day war and you'll see a steady progression of capability over the decades and it takes a significant amount of time to grow that that capability both from a, a service maturity level, but also from a technical capability. All of those things matter, all of them. And, and something, uh, to, something to add on that. So you guys have probably heard the term five eyes and that's essentially all the uh, intelligence services that are a consortium of, what is it, Steve? The United States, Canada, New Zealand, uh, um, Europe, some, some other assholes. So there's five major um, intelligence apparatuses that have combined. And so they share information, they disseminate information, and it's supposed to be a good thing for the West that we can we can share information, right? So if somebody sees something abnormal, they, they put it out on the wire. With the war with Ukraine and Russia and all of the activities over in the Middle East and the, uh, you know, the, is the Israeli uh, eradication and genocide of the Palestinians, the Chinese, North Korea is really not involved in this, but they're part of it. But the Chinese and the Iranians and the Russians are definitely sharing intelligence now. And they're also sharing intelligence with Venezuela and, you know, the, uh, the Central American countries that are friendly to Chinese and Russians, Cuba. So they have, they have their own version of Five Eyes. Now, they've always been, I don't want to say friends, and, and they're not necessarily like Warsaw Pact but their their intelligence apparatus and their ability to identify and disseminate and share and collect information collaboratively is i would say at this point superior to the united states and and our our five eyes I, if, if it isn't superior it's at a peer level so they they do have a lot of uh inputs to do things like evaluate these forward operating bases they have a lot of equipment sharing they have a lot of uh, you know it's like we send advisors to places they have advisors that they share amongst each other. And I would not be surprised if there was Russian FSB or, or you know, Chinese intelligence services that were advising those Iranians and helping them come up with this battle plan. I am working through uh, trying to add everybody back to the stage. I think we got everybody. Can you hear me, uh, Matt? Can you hear me, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Piper? I can hear you. I can, can hear, hear but I'm not, uh, I don't know if I'm broadcasting. You are good. I can hear you loud and clear. Matt's so we were, we were talking about, Raul, this is right in your area. We were talking about the- Yeah, uh, I, he I heard everything. So I'm, I'm up to speed with the discussion. Awesome. Okay. I'll let you guys chime in because I I think uh, now's a good time to hand off the, uh, the mic. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. Loud and clear. So yeah, Troopers got, got most of it nailed down. The, the more interesting piece of the intel coming back on the UAVs is, and, you know, when you go through ranger school, one of the things I always teach is that when you're, when you're doing a passage of lines and when you're, you're moving at night, you're always taking a head count, head count, head count, head count, and double checking that the guy in the back is the right guy in the back. And that's where they went wrong. These, these counter attacks through their UAVs, they followed the tails. That's how they got in. There was nobody checking their six. 
it was quite interesting to to read up and, and get the reports on this. You put that under uh, amateur move or complacency or just a degenerated skill set of the military currently. I, I mean, I, I was shocked when I when I read that. I went, how how in the how in the f can that happen? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's all three, Trooper. All three. Yep. Do we know for a fact what kind of missile hit? I mean, I haven't seen any bomb damage. I haven't seen crater analysis. So I'm I'm so mistrustful at this point that you know just the fact that it that it could be a cover story to to hide a worse story that this was a tailgating drone. Um, I'm I'm doubtful even of that. I mean I don't even know what kind of a missile it was if they're not showing uh, the crater analysis. No, they're they're ahead, carrying. That's that's what's going on. So what they're doing is they they strap on their ordnance and they just carry it in. I'm sorry. So it's, they're Say not rockets. They're not shooting rockets. They're not shooting any ordnance. They fly the ordnance strapped into them and then they just take it straight into the target. On a drone is what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. Yep. When you read the CENTCOM reports, they're very ambiguous. And that's, you know, I'm, I was with Matt this morning on the fact that I read the reports. I'm like, none of this shit makes sense. Like, yeah, how do you how do you fly a drone in when we have IFF? Clearly, well, we don't have IFF on drones. You're doing you're they're telling a couple of lies, and when people are liars, I'm tending to think that they're lying about other things. This Altanf base is 95% in Syria, like Tower 22 that they tried to say the casualties were at Tower 22 is ridiculous. That's that's the um, the fig leaf in Jordan because we have some, still some kind of a residual status of forces agreement with Jordan. With, with Syria, they've told us, get the F out. So we have no SOFA with, with Syria whatsoever. Syria That's where this base is. 90, 95% of this base is in Syria. This is at the, at the triple crossing, the triple border. It's easy to find on Google. It's at the triple border of, of Jordan, Iraq, and Syria which is on the like highway two between northern Iraq and Syria. So this is this is for Syrians. This is a, a major FU to Assad. And we're really not fighting for America. We're fighting for the Newland Kagan gang. They have not only a, a uh, hereditary ancestral uh, you know, gripe against Russia, they've transferred that to Assad because Russia and us and the Syrians have been allies, but the Russians will never desert the Syrians, unlike us deserting ally after ally. But us keeping this border crossing under an American base. I mean, imagine if the big crossing between Canada and you know, pick a state, Montana. There was a Chinese base. They just flew in with Globemasters during a period when we weren't paying attention. Set up a giant base and then said. We dare you to attack our China base. We're going to check all the cars driving between Canada and America. Can you imagine what a what a fish hook this is in the throat of Assad? The Syrian civil war, even before the before the uh, um, Maidan coup, the Newland Kagan gang back in the Libya days were supplying the weapons from Libya to to the Free Syrian Army, which is our rebranded ISIS. You know, anything to topple a Russian ally. 
So Assad became our, our, our blood enemy based on the Newland Kagan gang. And we still have, all these years later, this base right on the triple border. They're, they're, at this point, they're nothing more, in my opinion, than missile bait. If somebody can convince me why we are expanding a base at the border of Jordan, Iraq, and Syria, I would love to hear it. Oh, that's exactly what we're doing. That's that's the, the whole... We talked about this before. The whole point of, just like in, in Iraq, the whole point of us leaving troops in our bill was just to be a missile magnet to draw us into a bigger conflict, right? And I, I'm going to go a step farther than that. And, and I wanted to remind everybody, you're talking about Victoria Newland because she seems to be the, the global war master for the U.S. right now. But the bigger picture that, that Matt's alluding to, which we've, we've skirted, is... The regime is actually coordinating with Iran and telling Iran that we're basically going to strike them here. And I put this out, uh, both I put this out on Twitter as well as I put this out in the channel, the Telegram channel. This is exactly the kind of kabuki theater that would make sense for them to expand the war. And here's the bang for the buck for the Iranians. The bang for the buck is that any threat to their regime, literally any threat, if we attack Iran at any point now moving forward, it's just going to galvanize the Iranian public. And what that does is support the Iranian regime. Our best bet for any kind of a response is to drive in more intelligence assets into Iran and create more strife in the country to overthrow the government. That would be our bang for the buck. But instead, we're talking about limited strikes, unlimited strikes. And I've heard both both parts of that language in the last week. Whichever one they choose doesn't matter. The point is they're already coordinating with the Iranian government, which tells me this is just kabuki theater to justify a bigger action that helps both regimes. And I should remind everybody that we just gave them a pile of cash not even a year ago for hostages as well as for... Um, their nuclear program, and it was guised as, as uh, I can't remember exactly the bullshit term they used for it, but it was guised as something else. But that's exactly what it is. And, and, and literally cash, not a bank draft or something, literally cash. Yeah. Which, yeah. which means put it in a suitcase, send it to an embassy, blow up a target. And here's the other piece. All of those weapons that we left in Afghanistan, a lot of them were driven into Iran. And guess what they're doing with them? They're taking them and they're figuring out what the vulnerabilities are and they're figuring out where the weak spots are. So th there's a lot of different pieces to this that fall into place. But so far, we haven't done any strikes that we know about. And, well, and I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think we would know about it until way after the fact in the first place. Yeah, the, the weapons were also left in Afghanistan to destabilize the back door of Russia. Again, this goes to the the Newland Kagan, you know, Russia uh, antipathy. But as we left Afghanistan, we we left all of these uh, landmines and hand grenades for Russia in their back door because they'll be used in all the stands, you know, given to um, anti-Russian uh, Muslim jihad organizations to um, keep Russia uh, looking to the east instead of focusing entirely on the west. Colonel Johnson, welcome. Good to have you. Thanks for joining. 
So let's uh, let's switch let's switch topics here and and go down another another piece of this. Assuming let's take all things being equal, assume that we we do some kind of a limited attack or an attack on on Iran. What is what is the actions that happen here in our country? What can we expect here? Also, let's start with uh, actually let's start with you, Colonel Piper. Can you hear me, Raul? Bueller? All right, Troop, we'll start with you. Well, the first thing, if Iran gets attacked, is they're going to unload their entire arsenal of missiles on Israel, and that's pretty much going to eradicate the Israelis and the Palestinians. I could see uh, the Jordanians getting involved in that. What's really interesting to me is how is this going to turn out with our friends Jordan, Egypt, uh, and Turkey? So if we attack Iran... How is Egypt, Jordan, and Turkey going to respond to that? I think that some of those sleeper cells that we're talking about that are within the United States might be activated, but more than likely, depending on what targets that we hit in, uh, in Iraq or in Iran, we have a lot of Iranian uh, you know, individuals that have penetrated our border that are more fundamentalists and a lot less disciplined and they're just going to start attacking random shit. And so that remember, we're talking about the different echelons of threats that are that are in the United States borders right now. Um, I, I can rely on a trained team to to hold their position. I can't rely on all the fundamentalists that are just mad at America and you attacked my homeland and they don't really have any they, they don't have um, training. They don't have any kind of means of planning and they're driven by emotion. So those are the types of people that access weapons and just, you know, harm between five and 25 people. And so how many of those undisciplined people are in the United States? That's going to be the response if we hit something like a key mosque or we kill a key figure, uh, you know, or, or the, uh, the Iranians are able to, to over-sensationalize that attack in such a way that it would trigger those people. I don't think that attacking them and what you're saying is a negotiated strike against Iran, like, hey, you know, we're going to blow up this, uh, you know, this empty mall parking lot. Make sure you move everybody out, and then, you know, we'll drop, we'll drop a missile on it. Um, but if the Iranians can can market that and peddle that to the emotions of those undisciplined individuals within the United States, I could see some uh, sporadic crime come out of it. But I, I do see Israel eating a lot of missiles if we do anything serious over there. Agree, Colonel Piper. Are you with us? Bueller, Bueller. All right, Johnson, yeah. Colonel Johnson, let's go with you. Yes, sir. Uh, the thing that occurred to me, I think, based on what you were saying before, and we've had these questions also uh, in previously, is, you know, what's the true nature of the conflict between us and Iran? Is it, is it some kind of arranged conflict where we each accomplish mutually? Uh, advantageous goals. And, and if that's the case, it might be a lot different than if it's truly a, you know, a neocon death, you know, wish for Iran, then I think like what Trooper just said, we would see Iran really, you know, reach out a lot more, like he just explained. I think the, the key question is, what's the true nature of the conflict between Iran and, and uh, Washington? I don't think there is one. You I, think I it's a wag the dog thing, though? Yeah, that's what I think. Matt, you, I know you got an opinion on this. Yeah, you know, there's there's so many ways of looking at this. Going back to um, Valerie Jarrett, who's clearly, you know, Iran sympathizer um, and heavily influencing Obama and through, through proxies, um, Biden regime. 
if going back to 1988, there in one of the tanker wars, there was a thing called Operation Praying Mantis, where we sank significant part of the Iranian Navy. So you can't discount like a, a corporate bitter memory kind of a factor in here. I think the Iranians, if given if given cause, if we if we hurt them badly enough, you know, taking out like uh, key oil installations that like seriously degrade their refining capacity, you know, affecting their internal economy. I think that they would like to take out a a um, at least a Burke class ship or up, you know, all, all the way up. So you you can't discount the modern missiles being tested, you know, that that um, have hit uh, hit a tanker, set it on fire, things like that. It could happen that somebody gets you know lucky with a missile, takes out a navy ship, and we're not talking about uh, three soldiers staked out at a missile bait, but you know a ship being sunk, because the the worm is turning and the Red Sea is no longer freedom of the seas. I'm sorry, that is like past tense, and you know we're we are not coming to terms with that. So I think that Iran would like to teach the world a lesson about the great Satan no longer, you know, no longer being a superpower, but being a regional uh, paper tiger by taking out a, an American ship, a Burke class or, or equivalent. I, I, I don't disagree with that, Matt, at all. In fact, I, I thought that they moved, um, they moved three carrier battle groups over there for that specific purpose to allow them to be targeted and to allow them to be hit and it's I, i'm going to go a step farther and say that i firmly believe that if not all of the administration parts of the key parts of the administration are coordinating coordinating with the iranians to set up some kind of an event i i don't i don't believe for one second that this um, this situation is is just us responding to them and vice versa. There is I don't think that it's I, but I don't think it would be coordinated at a level. You know, we even saw uh, you know, I'm not going on a tangent, but a a the the uh, what is it? RNC head of Arizona apparently like a year ago went to Carrie Lake's house. He said, I've got to tell you something I can't tell you on the phone. So she obviously had like her smartphone recording on the table somewhere. You can't make these kind of coordinations overtly, not through a text, a voice, uh, a diplomat on a park bench, because it can come back to bite you. So this has to be done sort of like winks and nods like a hive mind. There's no American, you know, John Kerry went and spoke to the Viet Cong in Paris. He wasn't a member of the U.S. government then. So I don't think there's going to be any diplomatic coordination at any kind of level that it can be uh, recorded, even like the recording of the two guys meeting at the park bench. That, I, that I don't disagree with. But they can, be winking, they can be winking and nodding at each other. Yeah. Uh, well, I, some kind of coordination is going on. I, I agree. How that's going on doesn't really – to me, it doesn't matter because they've got – They've got informal and formal channels that they use. But there'll never be email, a text, or a picture. No. Yeah, I agree with that. I firmly agree with that. Colonel Piper, are you back? Or are you still doing your technical research on your your stolen equipment there? Okay. All right. So given the fact that uh, we're, we're – I'm going to circle back to what we were first talking about. 
is what kind of activity can we expect here in the U.S.? I would say, and, and Matt, you could disagree. We could agree to disagree on this one. One thing I know definitively is that, number number one, there are foreign special operations units here on the ground. I know that definitively. I can't tell you how I know that, but I know that definitively. And I know that they have been here. Some of them have been here for longer than 12 months. Some of them have come in in the last six months. And my view of the world is if we kick off anything in the Middle East, there will be some kind of infrastructure attacks here, if not disruption attacks. And and I think those will be sprinkled throughout the country, not just in one place. You guys not, can tell me if I'm wrong it, or not. But not, uh, not only sprinkled, it could be like a coordinated. You remember um, Al Qaeda used to like to do as a proof of uh, their power, multiple hits, different countries, same hour like when the, the Kenya and um, East Africa hits. So I would say there, the potential of Bataclan, Mumbai, October 7th, Bezlan on the same day, it cannot be ruled out. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate that. That's that, that's exactly the way I see it. And, uh, you know, the other, the other piece of this that I'm drawing from is they are, our enemies are masters at using information operations and social media while they conduct their attacks. I cannot help but think that they would stage, they have something planned, both a primary, a secondary, and tertiary targets for some kind of chaotic action. And I, I is every time I see a story like this in the news, I think the second and third order effects of what they are, what they're trying to achieve. And I, I, I'm still, I'm still on the fence that I think there's going to be an attack on one of our ships that's successful. And, and, and they, you know, a capital ship like a carrier would absolutely positively win the, the information war for them in the Middle East. Because look, everybody over there watches Al Jazeera. They watch, they watch APN, they watch the news sources because they are news hounds they know exactly what's going on and unlike american news <laughs> most of those news agencies cover everything in gruesome you know gruesome detail so you see everything even the dead bodies on the ground imagine if we were showing what was really going on in gaza and the amount of the amount of death that's going on there what that would do to our population but times that by 10 if they hit one of our carriers from an information operations perspective, that is a massive boon for them. So I can see them doing that just like I can see them pulling off on October 7th here. But I don't I don't see them going after DC. I see them going after a bigger city like New York or San Francisco or Los Angeles. Because it would take us hours or, or to multiple get our cities. Shit or the, well, multiple cities to make the point that it's not just one gang. Yeah. I concur with that. That that's the the higher level organized teams, but I absolutely concur with that. Blitz, Blitzkrieg, broken glass. Yeah, the uh, the thing that occurred to me while you guys were talking, you know, regarding the carrier and everything, is that I, I think if they're going to try to drag us into war and overcome all of the political resistance that they're facing in the country, they're going to have to do something huge. I mean, a carrier internationally, a carrier getting taken out and then massive infrastructure attacks in the U S including in red States, 
that would probably drag 90% of normies and sheeple and a lot of conservatives even, you know, into the fight. Colonel Piper, I, I think your your uh, headset works. Uh, I think he's still working on it. I think it's he's got a uh, monitor issue. He's off mute there for a while. So, but my biggest concern with the carriers is the swarm technology. Uh, I try to explain this to people during the Beijing Olympics when they had 10,000 drones up there doing three-dimensional artwork and everything else. And everybody, ooh, ah, that's so pretty. I'm like, that's not pretty. That's a demonstration of military capability. You could take a very light frigate or even a, a subsurface vehicle and shore that thing up, send 400 armed drones with kind of like a hornet's nest. They, they don't need a whole lot of ordnance on them. They just need to be in mass and attack the communications head on the carrier and just wipe out wipe out their ability to see and hear. And then that just carrier think, is a sitting duck. Just think of 400 thermite grenades. Yeah, and, and they're not, they're not going to recover from that. Because you don't have to hit the ship directly. You can hit fuel. They can go under the, you know, they go down to the second deck, down to the hangar deck. They can they can penetrate into the ship before they detonate. There's a lot of different avenues of approach there that literally can't be countered. And the other, the other uh, it, I don't want to say interesting technology, but the two, the two things we're circling around, which we're not really talking about, is the ai controlled drones or or unattended and then the attended drones and we're we've talked about the intended drones for the most part but autonomous drones in and of themselves especially an autonomous drone swarm is the next order of battle and that is that to me is the most dangerous aspect i don't think either the houthis the iranians or even the russians have that tech yet but the chinese no, we're do. there we're there steve they the technology is out there I mean, look at the the facial recognition and things they can do to to count people or classify people by, uh, you know, just being able to identify somebody's gender or their race or their age or whatever. The cooperative drones will have a pre-designated target. And so if you have 10 drones and you have 12 targets and drones are communicating with each other, I'm alive, are you alive? I'm alive, are you alive? They all pre-designate their targets. And then they go in, and when they're on that when they're on that terminal descent, if some of them get wiped out, then the other ones reprioritize what targets are out there on the ground. This stuff happens at at light speed, you know, at radio speed, which is close to light speed. And they they already have this technology. So if you have a you know, if, I mean, kind of like the troop engagements, right? You, you PC troops tank. What are you going to shoot? Shoot the closest thing to you, and then everything with antennas on it. So I mean, you can program a drone to look for command vehicles and prioritize those over armor and then prioritize the armor over the, you know, whatever the little infantry guys that you see. And if you have any surviving drones left then go ahead and blow up that rifle squad, that stuff is already out there it is already out there. And definitely hundred percent. And, and, and I think the, um, I'm going to say this and it's going to probably draw some fire, but I don't give a shit. The reality is drones drones have changed the battlefield like aircraft changed the battlefield in World War II. I mean, Ooh. the carrier made the battleship obsolete. We were still planning on, you know, these big, basically, you know, ships of the line engagements where we're, we're basically slugging it out with the Japanese. And airplanes completely revolutionized that. I think the drone warfare in the last two years in the Ukraine conflict has completely opened the eyes of not just the military, 
but think about the average citizen now because the other side of this that that i wanted to get to is you know are we going to see drones here on our soil by foreign troops my answer is yes but i'll let you guys chew on that one because i think there's a lot there's a lot of space there i think we'll see drone attacks on infrastructure i mean think about it. you strap a a little bit of c4 to a drone fly it into a power center blow it up guess what there's no power for the entire region well i was going to say you know matt's had the point um multiple times on his uh his various podcasts and, and gab hosts talking about how easy it would be to put a container of uh AK-47s and ammo, you know, pre-deployed around the country, you know, how easy would it be for the Chinese to have pre-deployed uh, containers of attack drone swarms around uh, near U.S. bases? Assume and, they're here. Assume right. they're here. Assume they're you, here. Exactly. And you, you could take out, you know, multiple Air Force bases of airplanes doing that very we, easily. We've seen, we've seen these videos of the, uh, and this is again when we have these treason trials, we're going to have to hang some of these people several times. Um, but when you see these CCP guys coming over, you know, with matching backpacks, they're not all looking like 19 year old snuffies. There's a lot of these guys that look like engineers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. They're not just sending, you know, uh, expendables. They're except they're sending some technically savvy people. Clearly, in groups, clearly. And that, that brings up another point, which I'm glad you brought that up, Matt. Uh, I was going to get to the connexes full of weapons and drones. But I talked to uh, Colonel Lawrence Sellen. Again, Michael uh, Michael Yawn put me in front of him. And I haven't had a chance to connect with him again. But one of the things that, that he agreed with, and, and I specifically want uh, Colonel Piper and Matt, you to talk through this, We've talked about the Red Dawn scenario of can it happen? Will it happen? I'm still in the place where I don't think that's that's something the Chinese could pull off. And Colonel Sellen agrees with me. His his he's monitoring the CCP and what they're doing. And according according to what he's posted both in Twitter as well as he's put on his Substack, that the Chinese are bringing in Chinese regulars. They're bringing in all of these these influencers into the country and they're setting up NGOs. They're setting up, they're setting up French Chinese friendly, basically propaganda outlets in all the communities across the country. And they're doing influencing operations at the same time, they're flooding the country with Chinese nationals and they're taking over specific regions, especially depressed regions. They're moving in, buying houses, buying real estate, building infrastructure. They're doing that right now. So the question is, two, it's really twofold. Number one, do you think there's a red dawn scenario in our in our future? And number two, do you think that the Chinese will establish enough of a beachhead here in certain communities for us to, for us to be unable or unable to dislodge them? I think it's a full spectrum of operation, and I think that um, they are ready for scenario A through Z like maximum grid attack tonight on order influence operations over 10 years and then you can imagine in between all the while buying real estate that with multiple purposes you know uh, these drug operations in maine and missouri that are also i think cover for 
build enough tents that you could flood in 200 guys and feed them for a week. You know, they're, they're, it's full spectrum across the board. Ral, you were going to say something. Yeah, I, I concur. What, what Matt has identified is the same thing that a lot of us are tracking, and that is purchase of the land and establishing a beachhead. The difference between this and Red Dawn is at least at Red Dawn, they moved in typical Soviet formations across the border and you could track them and you knew where they are and you could chase down their logical rear supply lines. These guys are building nodes across the U.S. There will be no rear supply lines. They are purchasing property. There's a literally a, a beef farm from one of my properties that they've purchased. And it sits right in the heartland of, of the, the East Coast. And they could use it as a staging area. You would have no idea what they're doing. You have no idea what's in the barns. They have no idea what's going on. And nobody seems to care. And meanwhile, they will be buying their own general aviation aircraft. Yep. They will be legally purchasing um, Cessnas, Pipers, Malls, so that they can, independent of whatever we try to do, land on roads and fields on property that they own. They're already doing that, Matt. That I know for sure. In fact, um, I was talking to uh, a GA buddy, sorry, general aviation buddy of mine, and uh, we trade notes all the time. And uh, he's an A&P and he's an IA. And I, I uh, crossed paths with him back in October when I was up in Seattle. And he said, I, you know, I was checking in with him because he's got a, you know, hanger up at Payne Field. And I'm like, hey, how's it going, man? He goes, dude, the Chinese own this place now. And I was like, what? He goes, they have bought so many airplanes up here and they have hangar space here. They have hangar space in Arlington. They have hangar space down in Tacoma. They have, they're buying exactly what you said, Matt, malls. I, I was like, why the fuck would anybody buy, buy, you put the, it's like a Piper Cub, right? You put the big, not, uh, the big um, tires on it that they, you know, they do up in uh, Alaska and With you can land that tires. thing anywhere. Yeah. Under tires. Land them anywhere. And, I mean, and, you're only doing 60 miles an hour, but who cares? You get there. And there's no, there's no roadblock. Meanwhile, the FBI is still chasing J6ers. Oh, absolutely. But uh, that's a whole different conversation. But, but I mean, I it's, think, th that's where our uh, effort is is going into useless directions, counterproductive directions, and they're ignoring, you know, the cobra sneaking into the baby's uh, bedroom. So along those lines. The, the other topic that I wanted to touch touch base on, because we, we can stay on this for a while. I think there's a lot of material here. The other one that showed up this week that went fairly unnoticed was the several chicken chicken farms in Texas were burned over the last three to four days. And that, to me, screams that it's – I don't think it's – I don't think it's specifically the Chinese, but I would say it's the Chinese and a, a couple other nefarious actors are already going after the food supply because we knew this was coming, right? When you when you have multiple enemies, it makes it very easy to um, hide an effort because you could be Chinese, Iranians, Russians, Hezbollah, anybody, and blame it on you know uh, act up eco terrorists. I think there's, I think that's part of it. 
I, one thing I do want to separate, though, that I know the audience will uh, will ask a question. First of all, the Russians use cyber. They have a they have a just like the Chinese. They have an army of cyber warriors that do nothing other than go into networks and disrupt. And to give you some flavor for this, and, and I'll explain why I'm going down this rabbit hole in a second. So just bear with me. The first thing is when the Russians come into a network, they are the quietest other than, than Mossad. They are the quietest on the planet. They don't turn up the volume in your network and trip your sensors until they're on the way out. And it's their signature to tell you on the way out that you got fucked. The, the, diff, the difference with Mossad is they never let you know they were there. They come in, they exfiltrate data, they leave, and you never know they were there. Six, eight months after they're gone and all this data is gone, you figure out what they did. The Chinese, they're bulls in a China shop. They break the door down, they steal the shit they want, and then they leave. I see the Russians doing this via cyber. I don't see them putting boots on the ground unless it's for observation for intelligence, ISR. I don't see them doing that. But I see I see the Chinese doing that. I see the Iranians doing that. And I see several other groups putting boots on the ground to do that and do disruptive operations. Because the Chinese, the Chinese like plausible deniability, right? They always use a proxy to do to do their bidding. But here it's direct engagement. The Russians always use a proxy. Doesn't matter what they're doing. When they did the when they did the cyber hacks in Georgia, they they literally went in, they used third parties, they paid these guys off with cryptocurrency, they went in and destroyed the networks and disrupted all the communications. That's the Russian MO. I don't see them doing that here. I see them doing completely third party cyber here to disrupt our, our critical infrastructure. Whereas I, I, I see think, the I think the Russians would save active um, active agents on the ground for only the most important missions agree agree that's exactly where i was they, going with that. but they wouldn't waste them on infrastructure agree i i don't see that i don't i see other actors going after infrastructure specifically china and i know some i know you guys there's you know, there's five of us in here i know somebody else got an opinion on this so i'm just going to leave it there for when you guys jump in i wanted to radio check uh colonel piper's microphone Can you hear me now? Five nines. Excellent. One of the things I wanted to point out to everybody is, is to go check out the food infrastructure destruction map, and you'll see the numbers. The numbers are astonishing, and they're they're great. The one that really tripped me was I, I used to run Camp Dodge in Iowa. And so I, I know how Iowa does their food storage and they use co-ops. And these co-ops are old and they've been around forever and they have old software. And if you go into the map and you check out, Iowa has had over 150 hacks into their food storage systems that then destroy the food that's in the silos. And they're getting destroyed on a regular basis we're losing all that food, and that's that's corn and soybeans that are predominantly, you know, cash crops for the farmers. But how is that done? Changing ventilation, or yeah, 
Yep, they go into the systems and they they change the uh, the ventilation system, both heating and cooling and airflow because you got to keep the grains dry and clean before they go to market. A lot of the work that that we do is trying to secure those SCADA devices, and they they control everything from electrical substations to industrial controls and manufacturing to you know detecting the the moisture content of silos. And they're the easiest things to attack because they're the they're the, all the everybody that's in uh, you know Colonel Murray's line of work is looking at computers and patching and networks and all the high speed stuff and cloud. Yet 500 feet away from their their uh, you know their containment area, their perimeter, wherever their building is, is some 35 year old piece of industrial control equipment that's that's literally hooked up to the the power and water controls. And that's exactly what they're going after. And not the not to cut you off, Piper, but I was. Uh, I was thinking of that just the, the over the last couple of years, that map that you're talking about, it doesn't include the other 300 food centers where a distribution center burned or there was a gas explosion or, or some calamity had happened. Uh, this, this was going on all, all year last year and part of the year before where there's these major food uh, distribution centers, packaging centers, processing centers are just going up in smoke left and right. And there, there hasn't been a single news story to follow up on, on any of them from a root, a root cause perspective. Not one. And it, the, the other interesting thing that the troop touched on that is, that is very salient. So it, in my line of work, we worry about, and just like we do in the military, right? Cause the landscape is pretty much the same. When you do a war, a rock walk in the military, you assess the terrain. We do the same thing in a network. We assess the terrain and look at the endpoints. We look at the interior. We figure out, you know, what's what's the most critical assets. Build a high value target list, and then we work down from there. And the the entire industry has gone to what's called a zero trust model. That's basically where you harden every system as far as you can go and sequester it within virtual IP space so that it doesn't talk to each other like it used to be a flat network. We don't do that anymore. But that said, if you look at the infrastructure, and I'll give you a very, very simple salient case that is apparent with every data center in this country. These data centers literally have 20 foot, they have 20 foot thick walls that are 75 feet high, that are you know highly, highly secure. But you walk 10 steps out of the data center out the front door and there's a manhole cover where all the cable comes in. All you have to do is drop a, you know, not even a half a pound of C4 down there. And guess what? Data center completely offline. You don't even have to, you don't even have to breach their perimeter. You just have to lift a manhole cover and drop a grenade down there. And you've effectively taken out 25 or 30 companies in one blow. You don't think the Chinese... And all of our enemies have figured that out. You can walk anywhere in this country. You can literally, I saw guys literally outside of a data center in San Jose, walking around, lifting up manhole covers. And I, and I was standing in front of the data center with a bunch of guys. It's like six years ago. I go, anybody going to go ask them what the fuck they're doing? They're like, why? Like, do you see any, do you see these guys in a power van? Do you see these guys in uniform? So I walked over there. And I'm like, who are you? And what the fuck are you doing? And they couldn't answer my question. First of all, none of them spoke English. I'm like, hello, intelligence agency. Hello. That's exactly what they've been doing for the last 15 years. They know exactly where all the vulnerabilities are for all 
of our critical infrastructure, yeah, especially you know, communications. You know, the, the Metcalf attack in California, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, which was in 2013, it was not only um, kinetically firing at, a, at a substation transformers at the same time, at uh, some distance, uh, people attacked an underground um, you know, fiber optic cable trunk area. So I, I looked at, I've always looked at that as a proof of concept attack. Some national government, you know, the colonel in charge of sabotage said, I'll do a proof of concept operation. And if you give me the budget, I can do it a hundred times the same night, but I'll do it once just to show what we can do. That wasn't just Yahoo's shooting rifles at a, at a transformer, not when, you know, 10, 15 miles away, the fiber optic center is taken out at the exact same time. And it was incredibly easy for them to do. Because we live in an open society and most people don't ask any questions of anyone in their neighborhood, which is, which is why I've beaten the drum for the last two years. Walk around and find out who's in your neighborhood. Make human connections. And when you see somebody that doesn't belong there, walk up to them and ask them, what the fuck are you doing here? Most people don't do that's That is not bred into our society. No, it literally is not. It, it is was in Russia. It was problems. in Russia. And the, the guy who is current, one of the guys that's currently, you know, a prisoner in Russia went out to uh, uh, Siberia where they have a weapons uh, manufacturing plant. And the guy was like, you know, at 5 p.m. as the guys come out of the plant, he was asking them, you know, hey, how's production? Uh, are you working three shifts? So to his his employers in America, he's just he's just a reporter. To Russians, that's a, that's espionage. <laughs> you know, you're like you're a thousand miles from where you should be, dude. Asking us about wep a weapons plant, you're going to prison. It wouldn't even occur to us in this country if somebody is like digging up a fiber optic trunk as long as they had orange vests on and a and a yellow hard hat. That's yeah. valid, yeah. And. I'll go a step further with that, Troop, then, then, then I want you to chime in this because I know you got a lot of thoughts about this because you and I have talked about this. The, the one thing I learned in Iraq that I really appreciated about the Iraqi public, in fact, it was one of the things I admired most about them. They knew everybody in their neighborhood. They know who belonged there. They knew who didn't belong there. They know who the outcasts were. They know who the retards were. And when somebody didn't belong there, and I saw this in a couple of neighborhoods in northern Mosul. They literally would they would they would do their hand signals or their gang signs or whatever they would do, and a group of them would walk up to the car and say, "Who the fuck are you? And what the fuck are you doing here?" And if they didn't belong there, they'd get some lettucillin or they'd be escorted out in a trunk. And there was a bunch of Wahhabis. If you don't know what a Wahhabi is, it's one of the most violent sects of the. Muslim religion. It's of course it's in Saudi Arabia, you know, one of our allies. They the Wahhabis would show up. You could identify these guys miles away. Long beards, long hair, frazzled clothing, and the Iraqis would not allow them in their neighborhoods. They would they would mob them and throw them out. And I asked one of the one of the um clerics there what was going on cuz I watched it happen. He's like they're Wahhabis, we don't want them here. They just bring trouble. We don't want trouble here. And you know, if we did that here, if our neighborhoods were that tight knit here, 
trust me, the Chinese wouldn't be in here, the, the cartels wouldn't be here, and neither would any of the other nefarious actors. Yeah, two, two quick points. Number one, I just saw for the 20th time, great film, Lawrence of Arabia. That's where the Brits put the Wahhabis in charge of all the petroleum, okay? Yay, get the Turks out. Let's put the Wahhabis in charge of Saudi Arabia. And number two, a, a, another negative aspect of this uh, border invasion, we've been gaslighted and browbeaten into accepting that if like 20 Guatemalans moved into the house next door, you shouldn't question it. Just accept it. If 20 people from Tajikistan, you know, take over your high school, it's good. Don't say a word. That brings up a really good point and that I want to bring people back to 9-11 and the things that were happening there. That's I was living in Iowa at the time. That's when I was running Camp Dodge. And down the street in a little town called Salem, which was probably, I'd say it's 500 houses max. The regional sheriff got a call saying there's something not right here. They said, what is it? They said, there's these two guys living in this house. They've been there for about six months. They never go to work, so we don't know what they're doing. Can you come check it out? And when they came, they found out that these were two guys from the Middle East. It looked like they were probably teamed up with others. And they had maps of all the bridges that went from Iowa to Illinois across the Mississippi River. Mounted on the walls, little tags here and there. And that's what has to happen. People have to call it yeah. in. People you, have to be observant. You don't, a, you don't need a demo expert. All you need is people to hijack fuel tankers, park them on a bridge and light them off. Yeah, and I, I firmly believe, and, and Matt brought this up and I, I back him totally. And that is they're prepping for something. They are seriously prepping for something. I don't think it's a red dawn moment. I, I think that I think three things are going on and you guys, I, 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 I know you guys will disagree, which is fine. That's the point of saying this. Number one, I think they're going after the food supply because this aligns with the agenda 2030, which is, you're going to eat bugs. They want to destroy as much of our food production as possible, except for the food production and capability that the Chinese own already. You'd be shocked at how much of the meat processing and meat meat production that they own. And this is this is the separation from Gates, right? The other side of that fence is, number two, they're going after logistics as well as production. And then number three, they're, in, they're infecting the inspection side of the house. So not only are they going after the production side, but they're not inspecting the stuff that they're leaving alone, which makes you wonder what's going in the stuff that we're getting that's not going to China that's showing up in the store. And you can make all kinds of leaps there, but the reality is there's a definitive asserted action to go after food production here and food storage. And call me crazy, but... I'm seeing that in multiple places. And over the last three years, it's what, 150, 170 food processing plants have been burned down across the planet, specifically here over 100. That's a pattern. 
and and it may only be testing. It may just be uh, testing uh, methods of attack. Pro still at the probing level. Who's done? Who's done the analysis? Or let's ask volunteers to do an analysis of. Uh, and I just shared. I just shared your your map, uh, Colonel Piper. And then there's the other information on the, the 300 plus food plants that that have gone up. Which ones are owned by U.S. corporations or uh, you know company employee owned? Which ones are owned by China or or China proxies? And then what's other? So out of all of those, it would be interesting to know who, who owned them in a spreadsheet of of you know where's the pie chart? And that I think that would be some telling analysis. Yeah, that'd be really great to know. I think um, one thing I was thinking about as you guys have been talking is that uh well i had a personal experience where i thought that i encountered some uh, possibly chinese officers doing some kind of surveillance but the the thing i wanted to say before i went into that was you know i think we have to work with the worst case which the worst case to me would be like you know emp strike followed by red dawn moment or something like that yeah. and if if we have anything that's less than that great you know i mean I think to accomplish the goals of the WEF, all the WEF needs to do is get the U.S. to just crumble. And they're going to accomplish the goal of making China the preeminent world power. And, and that would probably be all the WEF needs to do. But I think the Chinese have a different agenda and they may be working alongside the WEF. But I think the Chinese would probably go, no, we want to destroy the United States. I, I think the it, Chinese and the WEF are two sides of the same coin. Each thing. Yeah will succeed and be dominant in the end. I think that the Chinese have uh, a lot more brain power going for them, a lot more operatives. They also have more Achilles heels at home, where they're right. just billionaires that can fly to, you know, five different island fortresses. But, you know, the, the Chinese have, have their own weaknesses at home, but a lot of brain power, and they just have manpower galore to throw at problems. So everything we've talked about tonight they, I would assume they're doing it all and more. And I, was, I was literally going to say that. <laughs> they're doing it already. They've been doing it already. They're going to keep doing it. And, and one flavor I would add to that, because you were, you, you're, I agree. I think the WEF and China are working hand in hand. But I, I think there's two sides to that. I firmly believe that the, the oligarchs that are in Europe firmly believe that they can control the Chinese through currency because all roads lead back to currency, right? What are they trying to implement? A social scoring system like they have in China with WeChat like they have in China and a digital currency. That's what the, that's what the end state is. That's what I think they believe the control mechanism is. The piece I think they've completely overlooked, which again, their arrogance will be their undoing, is the, the fact that they think they can control China's growth and expansion outside the, the Chinese borders through currency. I There's going to be a point where specific regions are completely overwhelmed by Chinese. Because, look, they have 1.2 billion people. They could occupy every house, every building in this country without breaking a sweat. And that's just the U.S. Imagine and, what they can do in Europe. And they can, they can also... Well, like we've discussed before, if they would bioengineer a pathogen that had 75% uh, mortality against non-Asians, 25% mortality against Asians, 
they would do it in a nanosecond as a big victory. I think they've already done it. And I and, think the vaccine was the bioweapon that's going to kill off a significant part. But it's of not the, the it's not the end vaccine. It's not the end pathogen. I the agree. Other factor is from from uh, Seattle to Los Angeles and maybe San Diego. In the right circumstances, those Democrats, rather than inviting MAGA in to save them, they would invite the Chinese in to save them from MAGA. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, they wouldn't have to invade. They would be welcomed in as peacekeepers. We restore power, get the grid working again, and keep those rednecks out. No, Matt, I, th I think you're dead right on that. And I, I don't think it's just California. Uh, over here on the East Coast, it's just as bad. These people will let anybody in as long as it's not the MAGA folks. Yep. And I'm they don't care who they are. They don't care where they come from. They just want to make sure it's not, you know, a conservative American, especially a white American, and a white American that has ammunition and weapons to defend himself. Yeah. I, at, a few months ago, I was at my local indoor range and like five Chinese men in their in their like late twenties came in. Only one spoke like five hundred English word English. The rest were obviously you know right over the border. They were shooting a, an AK and an AR fifteen. It was obvious that only one of them had ever fired a gun in their life. They were shooting at silhouette targets at like the closest line, like five yards, right? Like this was like how to put in the magazine safety, pull the trigger. Five Chinese guys, only one spoke any English. This is in a conservative range in a conservative, you know, county. And nobody's like, whoa, wait a minute. What the hell? Call the FBI. Something stinks here. And I asked, the, I, I went over like I'm sweeping up my brass at the end. And I asked the guy that spoke any English. I was like trying to pull him out like, hey, America's great. I wanted to see how much English he would speak when spoken to by an American. I had my, my concealed carry permit, you know, like out in my hand. I said, isn't America great? I said, look, you can carry a weapon in America. I was just trying to like have a common ground, you know, gun range conversation. Guy, the, the, their leader spoke almost no English. He pulled a concealed permit out of his wallet. He already had one. So they're yeah. reading a script. They, they've got a script in, a, in Chinese. Go with this guy to the DMV. You'll get your driver's license. Go with this guy to this government place. You'll get your you know, electric bill, water bill, pay your rent. They are embedding and they are smart. These are not Senegalese. These are smart operators. And they're working to a script in every state. And Matt, you you and I have talk, both talked to Michael Yan. He's talked through this at nauseum on a hundred channels, and it's landed fucking nowhere. This is what this is the part that gets under my skin. The Chinese have a script from the time they leave country until the time they buy a residence here, and it's it's all scripted out for them. They don't even have to learn a word of English, like. If you go to there's a there's a Chinatown in almost every major city in, in the country. If you go to Seattle right now, 
or Los Angeles or Portland and you go to the Chinatown district, it's exponentially bigger than it was two years ago. And in two years, it will be exponentially bigger than it is right now. And none of them will speak English. And not fucking one of them. There's an interesting twist to all of that as well. And that is the Chinese banks are over here. You cannot go in and get get an account at the Chinese bank. But the Chinese banks are lending mortgage money to these folks so they can buy homes and any property they want. And the interest is like 0.05%. Yeah, I was going to say low interest loans. Yep, yep. you're right. Yep. yep. That's I hadn't even got there yet. That's, oh, that, you that's, know, that's, that's directly CCP subsidy. Yeah. And what kills me is that the, the Chinese um, real estate market is imploding right now. Like Evergrande was just delisted not even two days ago. And they they don't have a mechanism in their economic system to do any of the bailouts that we do here. I'm curious to see what they're going to do because it's some look at some point this system and their system will collapse. The question for all of us is going to be, what do we do when that happens and how do we throw them out of our country when that happens? And if, and if they have, a, if they have a collapse, what is to prevent them from doing a breakout scenario where they just put, you know, 10,000 troops on, you know, 50 different ships and just slam them into New Zealand, Australia, where these countries are basically are like dodo birds. They can't fly. You know, they've, they've abolished their militaries in terms of homeland defense. A, a, an Australian submarine will do nothing if, you know, 100,000 Chinese land in, in uh, uh, Northern Territories. Now, now, Matt, or New Zealand, you, you can't apply logic where logic applies. We don't do that here. You know as well as I do that that's it's not if that's going to happen, it's when that's going to happen and where. And and I can, I can honestly say I think it'll not just be Australia. I think it's Australia, New Zealand, and the Philippines because they have a hard on for the Philippines. You know that. That's where you're going to get the women when the when these un, unmarried un, the uh, barren branch men. They're going to say, you want a woman? She's waiting for you in the Philippines. And I can speak to the uh, New Zealand thing. I go to Auckland regularly. And, uh, you know, you, you on the harbor there in, in Auckland, the uh, New Zealand Navy, all of their like five ships, they're all tightly packed together, all in one little area. Be very easy to uh, overwhelm them. They have no defenses anywhere. They have old uh, World War II ruins, or you can go look at, uh, you know, old uh, coastal artillery uh, places they had. But they're just like Matt's saying; it's just completely wide open. I think they'll just roll into Auckland and Christchurch with row row ships and start unloading wheeled, you know, like uh, Guardian type. Um, all they'd need is, you know, four wheel. Uh, 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 armored, uh, you know, machine guns like a guardian. Oh yeah, you know the Kiwis because are going to help unload. The whistle while they're doing it because all all the, their only resistance is a guy in a police car with a pistol. Yeah, and you know what he's going to say? Stop, or I'll sell. Uh, I'll yell, stop again. Yeah, whatever, dude. Nice try. The other they have the to- other thing about Auckland is the Chinese are already moving in. There's the 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 Asian population in Auckland, for example, is enormous. 
it's huge and it's growing like everywhere that's the chinese plan their plan is to just overwhelm every location with bodies they don't want well, to fire a shot even they without firing a shot yeah. what we've learned in germany and in europe in generally in, in england when a a cohesive group reaches about 10 percent they be they tip the the uh politics completely because or look at somalis in minnesota the democrats will always curry favor with uh with the somalis in minnesota or the muslims in, in you know in london because they are the swing vote so if you get 10 percent of a population into auckland there's no new zealand pop uh politician that will ever say we've got to stop chinese from coming you you've te- you've you reach ten percent, you might as well own the country. Troop, I know you got something to say on this because you got you got all kinds of threat analysis going on. <laughs> I and, have and don't be silent because I know. And while I'm hope. on this subject, I, I want to put something to rest since we're all on this call. So, I routinely get a bunch of email and shit posting to my email account after these these conversations because oh poor troop he's he's by himself with all these officers first of all he is he's an expert at emergency management second of all he's a threat analyst so he knows more shit about the enemy than any of us and third and most importantly none of us have the zingers that he throws into the channel, like I joined Weight Watchers to meet fat girls. It was fish in a barrel. I can't make that shit up. So I'm just saying he can hold his own. So stop that, okay? I don't need the email. Go ahead, okay. Troop. Sorry. Well, I I, uh, I truly do find fat women endearing. In fact, uh, Petite Four, one of the users on the Twitter channel, I asked him. I asked him to make some artwork for me, and I just posted it in my channel. And it's it my my three favorite things: fat women, cheeseburgers, and beer. So he had a uh, a little uh, AI generated, probably uh, image of that, like all, all three things that I love. So, but you're right. I mean, I have a whole Pez dispenser full of like concerning things. That first of all, defining the enemy, because I I hear people focus on oh, it's the WEF or it's the CIA or it's a whatever. So just for everybody that wants to know how a threat analyst uh, stratifies all of these threats, uh, we have the Chinese, we have the WEF, and I would put the World Health Organization in there too. Uh, We have individual fundamentalists that just hate us and our way of life that aren't attached to any of these people. Uh, We have provoked enemies or people that we actually pissed off like the Russians. Uh, we have the uh, uh, the free shit people that are invading our country that just want a handout. We want uh, and, major and free corpor- shit people that are already here. Oh yeah, and you know it's funny. I mean, the major corporation shift just a few years ago. The major corporations that the politicians feared that had all the power were the oil, gas, and coal companies, and they have managed kind of like the Democrats have managed to completely rebrand themselves from you know pro eugenics racists to you know the like the voice of the common man. So hopefully, hopefully their constituents will wake up. But the major corporations now that that have replaced them are basically pharma and finance. So we have those guys; they're enemies as well. The academic hacks and shills that are driving a lot of these people, and then all the controlled and ideological policymakers and politicians that are making very dangerous decisions. That I, I want to contrast with stupid decisions. 
How many times have you heard somebody say, oh, Biden's so stupid. The Democrats are stupid. Obama was stupid. They're not stupid. They're really good at doing things that we know are bad. So we might perceive the decisions that they make as something stupid, you know, if we did it or if Trump did it or if your Uncle Bob did it, but they're doing exactly what they want to do. So they're not stupid. They're very intelligent. Remember, Clinton was a rogue scholar. These are not stupid people that we're dealing with. But then, the, you know, the bottom of that chain are the opportunists or all the other countries that would benefit from any of our industries being compromised. You know, I mean, how many other countries out there could could make rice or corn or gas or or, or products or, uh, you know, mining or minerals or anything? So there's there's your whole list of people that are threats to the United States or potential threats to the United States. And last week we talked about the stratification of the, you know, the A team, the organized groups, uh, you know, the individuals, uh, you know, any any other um, uh, lack of coordination among those those different stratifications of forces that aren't necessarily communicating with each other, but their their levels of capability are the same and they're operating independently within the United States. And they, and they, may, and they may kick off they may kick off, if not but on a, on a time on target command, you know, from outside. They may kick off like when one group does a Bezlon. Others may say, just like a contagion, like suicide or trans contagions. Oh, like dominoes. And it's, say, it's the same reason, you know. Our, this is our time. Yeah. Huh. Go ahead. Let's do our own. Well, I mean, think of how many bears there are in a salmon run that, you know, they keep putting their paw in the water, they're going to get a salmon, but the other 5 million salmon go through. And so you're right. I mean, once you have a major event, you're going to have this entire stack of enemies, um, you know, determine whether or not they want to operationalize if they're disciplined or ones that aren't disciplined. And are just the, and the, the undisciplined, among the undisciplined are all of these fighting age men who are now being paid to sit on the sideline. So they're getting a, a refilled debit card. What happens when either from a banking collapse failure point of view or Trump comes into office, suddenly these men have no more 2000 a month? I worry about that quite a bit every Saturday when I'm at the homeless camp because those, those uh, tribal institutions of street crime, the way things that work, you know, where, you know, where they have come from are going to be the same things are going to be implemented. You just saw the video of the, of the two uh, New York police getting beat up by uh, like a dozen illegals. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that type of stuff is going to happen, but the, the crime victimization of the, of the homeless communities is also going to be a major issue. So for the economic migrants that are coming in the United States for the, you know, for the audience, they're fleeing poverty in their own countries and their own countries oftentimes are, are ran by street criminals because their law enforcement, the government, everybody's compromised to begin with. So they come here on the free shit program. Plus these other countries in central and South America are emptying out their prisons and just basically sending their prison, uh, their prison inmates to the United States. Yeah. When those visa cards run out, they're going to procure resources. They're going to do it in, in any means possible. And when they identify the homeless community and the resources that they have available to them, they're going to go, you're a prostitute, you're a drug runner, you're a prostitute. Uh, you're going to, we're just going to, you know, send you back. You're cute. So we're going to send well, you back. In, to in the Chicago area, this is like two or three months ago, there were uh, reports on these gangs that were sophisticated, Venezuelan gangs. The whole gang is imported intact, right? They've yeah. got their internal security because they are the only ones that know their slang and their, you know, their uh, private code words. So they've got very tight security. There's nothing for like the FBI or local law enforcement to get a handle on. It's like a new virus. So these like 
10 or 15 gang members, which is enough to have like a safe house of, of drivers, et cetera. They're using uh, very sophisticated jamming devices to uh, overwhelm. They're going into millionaire neighborhoods and, and jamming their security systems and just walking through. Um, they were sophisticated enough to like open locks, things like that, electronically. Yeah, remember, that's just one facet and stratification of the threats that we're facing that are oh, in the country. Right, exactly. There's three, right? There's, I don't have a lot on yeah. that. But that, I mean, that was the point of that with, with all of these, you know, this whole stack of, of threats to the United States is we have a lot more threats than than just the WEF or the Chinese or the whoever. I mean, there's a, there's a whole Pez dispenser full of people that hate the United States and they're all here. It's and the other that, thing true. is... That you know, a couple of things that that uh, that Colonel Piper and Colonel Johnson said was the the whole beachhead mentality of China, the way that they've controlled the South China Sea now, they've completely militarized it. And when they're buying land next to uh, military bases, we have all these uninspected container ships. We have all this you know fleet micro technology that's cooperative. There's there's a lot of small and covert beachhead type of uh, entities that are in the United States now, and they're absolutely following that doctrine, but I don't really see it as a, we're going to take out the power. We're going to take out the water. When, when you, ha when you're going to attack a target, there's got to be a reason why you're attacking the target. And I said this a few weeks ago, if we go kinetic or, or, you know, finally the, you know, the, we're just, we're just at war with Russia and China that, yeah, you know, you can drop a thermite grenade down a manhole and fry a bunch of, uh, you know, fiber optics. You can take data centers offline. You can cut land sea cables. Those are all temporary things, but the temp, you know, they, they fix that stuff all the time. But how much time does that buy you that you put your enemy on their heels that now you can do something else where their surveillance networks down, their detective networks down, their response network capabilities are down. So it isn't, it isn't, oh, they could go and blow up this and Texas will be without power for a year. It's why are they doing it? When are they doing it? And how, you know, how are they doing it? It's kind of a secondary thing. We want to try to protect targets, but all of the open railways, these train derailments, and, you know, Krista brought up the point, what happened in East Palestine? What happened in Yellowstone when they dumped all of that bitumen and, and you know, into the, uh, into the waterway? So, so much of our infrastructure only exists based on being a high trust society where we just allow it. And, any train, you could just, tell any anti-American active agent buy a, a bag of sacrete, walk down a railroad track until you see XYZ and pour the cement on it. And if that happens a thousand times, the train system is done. It, it, it's just as easy to shut down civil aviation, and I wouldn't even say how, but civil aviation only exists in a high-trust society where you have airports in cities. I, I so there's there's a piece of this that we're not talking about that I that bears mentioning, and that is first of all, um, when you look at the threat vectors that are there, disregard that for a second. We've imported people into this country that operate on a completely different level than we operate, and. Troops alluded to it. Matt's alluded to it. I think Colonel Piper alluded to it a little bit. These people will fucking kill you for a mouthful of what you have. That's the environment they come from. This isn't just the threat of right. uh, organized groups or unorganized groups or uh, an emotional mob. 
this is the we're we're importing some of the most toxic cultures on the planet. Yeah. We're, and the, people don't realize we're importing these go ahead, Matt. We're we're importing people who teach their kids that stealing just means the other guy is a sucker. Yes. And yes. And stealing and raping are good things. We're importing people, you know, if if there was a man at the you know college frat house that lusted after a cheerleader and thought if I could, I would drag her in the bushes and rape her. He would never express that to his frat brothers. They would at the least shun him or possibly beat the crap out of him. So if one out of 10 is thinking it, he would never say it. But we're importing people where if one of them says it, the other nine are going to go, hell yeah, let's get her right now. Or worse, why didn't you do it? That's the other part of that. And the, the point I'm trying to make here is, when we talk, we're talking about probably 15 different attack vectors here. But the one that I want to galvanize in the audience, and I want people to burn into their soul, is that the people we've imported, these people are not the same caliber. They're not the same moral compass that we operate with. This, this fucking lifestyle of complacency that Americans live with and watching crimes happen. That shit has to stop today because what's going to happen moving forward is going to be brutality and violence on a level that none of you have ever seen. We have all seen this. All of us have been in theater. All of us have seen those cultures. All of us have watched. And literally, I sat and watched the, 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 you know, the, um, the Iraqis and the, the Kurds literally go from house to house, brutalizing people. And we don't operate on that level at all. We operate on the level, get along, go along to get along. That That is dead. That died in 2020 when Trump left office. The rule of law is different now. If you watch these two New York City cops get brutalized by a bunch of illegals, that's day-to-day operations in their country. That's what we—that's what we've imported. And if we bring in Palestinians, we've just imported probably 100 or 200,000 terrorists in their purest fucking form. So yeah. this notion that you—you you, you want to go pray to God, go ahead, but you better have a 45 on your hip. When you do it well, our our country in our country, everybody listening to this has to be ready for anything, including there's no power in our neighborhood, our city. So how do I secure my house, my my block, my neighborhood? Because when these things start cascading, even if the, the vector begins externally, our own social lack of cohesion is going to cause the stores to be looted. You know, it's just going to happen. Once the stores are looted, they won't be restocked. So this cascade can get out of control very fast. So people have to be thinking, where's my next year year's worth of food and water? Because it could, it could happen in a cascade that just is unstoppable. And this is exactly why I've talked about sphere of influence and line of sight for the last two years, because what we're describing is a tribal way of operating. We're back to the Wild West. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree or not, 
when it's staring you in the face, trust me when I say this, you will go tribal too. I think it's I think it will be worse than the Wild West because in the Wild West, most people had a Christian upbringing, and they knew that horse thieves would be hung. Okay, they knew it. It was like no question in anybody's mind. Women were were fairly you know pretty safe on the frontier because a rapist wouldn't make it until dawn. That's all out the window now. Yeah, that whole lack of accountability has driven a lot of this poor behavior that we've seen over the last three or four years. Yeah, I don't disagree. Colonel Conrad, welcome. Glad to have you. I Colonel Piper had to drop off, folks. He only had an hour. He stayed extra because yeah, of the conversation. I have, I, have go, I have to go too now. It's 8.30, coming on 8.30. I've got to roll out too. Matt, appreciate you joining. Hey, yeah. well, before you leave, tell people how to find your books. Um, my website is enemiesforeignanddomestic.com, but you know you can look me up on at Amazon or what have you. And I have a new book coming out soon, and you know it, it should be. It's a post collapse. It's like what happens on the other side of the collapse ten years after, when a society is trying to rebuild with no money, no banking system, no government, no accountability. You know how does it? How do you reform a society? Anyway. That sounds shocking that's, that's, like our current situation, Matt. Just just yeah. gonna say that out loud. But and it's then, the other it's the other side of the dystopia. It's you know the sunshine on the other side of the of Mordor. And <laughs> I have posted your latest interview with uh with Mike Adams. You did that what yesterday? Yes. yes. It's in the, the comments section of the of tonight's show. I, I encourage all of you to go watch it. It's actually very salient and it's uh very Sailing to tonight's conversation. And if you can find just one of his books, Enemies Foreign and Domestics, one of my favorites, suggest you go find them because shockingly, a lot of the things we've talked about tonight are already in his books from 10 years ago. More, yeah, more than 10. All right. Good night, gents. Good night, Jen. Bye See bye. you. Thanks, Matt. See you, Matt. So we have tons of things to talk about just from that comment, but his his comments. And I think Colonel Colonel Piper's comments uh, and, and troops' comments are salient. What we're facing is different than anything anybody in this country has ever seen. We've look, we've lived sheltered lives. We've been able to go to the mall. We've been able to go to the store. We've been we've been able to go to see our doctor, and there hasn't been any of the violence that the rest of the world has seen. That's that's been imported here. We're about to see that on a graphic level. And I think that most people are not prepared. For, look, the snowflakes that are virtue signaling about their gender, their ideology, and all that other bullshit, that's going to wash off quickly. The, the, the people that have the stones and the man card are the ones that are going to survive this. The rest are not. And... I've talked about this before, and I'll give you guys a chance to talk in a sec because I know you, all three of you have something to say about this. Here's the bottom line. When all this kicks off, when this happens, it will happen quickly. We're going to see one of two different flavors here. We're going to see the world unite against the elite, who the true enemy are, or two, we're going to see anarchy and chaos, and that's going to be something most Americans, if not all Americans, have never seen.
And that's going to create a whole host of problems that most people are completely unequipped to deal with. I'll leave it there for you guys to talk. I'll jump in if you don't mind. Um, so good evening, everyone. I, uh, uh, I'm thinking a couple things about this situation, Steve. Uh, being a history buff, I'm reminded very much of a biography I'd read of Nathan Bedford Forrest. And in that biography towards the end, after the Civil War, uh, one of the interesting aspects of societal collapse was that these that that groups started popping up uh, out of necessity because women couldn't go to the to the to the town to shop without getting molested or raped or something else. Society had pretty much broken down in some of the southern regions, and of course there was a great deal of upheaval over the fact that you had carpetbagger uh, leadership being sent down by the you know federal government, and so. One of the reactions kind of goes back to what you always talk about, line of sight, sphere of influence, where people were forced to band together. Um, strangely, uh, the, the original, not later, but the original Ku Klux Klan came about because of such circumstances. And it had it didn't have anything to do with racism at that time, uh, but it was one of the groups that popped up out of necessity for people looking out for you know, themselves, their family, their their uh, kinsmen, um, their neighbors, etc. And I think we're going to be forced into those kind of circumstances. I, I'm already seeing people who I would consider to be very liberal, uh, kind of beginning to question things. And uh, whether it's the economy or just, just things in general in our society, beginning to wonder about, hmm, Maybe I'm not quite so sure about where I stand on some of these issues as I was before. And I think under those circumstances, uh, you know, a, a collapse of societal fabric, uh, I think a lot of those people would be forced to come around rather quickly. That being said, um, one of the great challenges that we're going to face is going to be the, the shaping operations that the deep state puts against us. We're looking right now, we saw more what food processing plants being burned and, and destroyed. Um, they're going to pit us against each other as much as possible along racist lines, along, you know, inner city um, urban interest lines, starving people, putting them under the most desperate of circumstances so that we're too busy fighting each other uh, if, if they get what they want, uh, that we cannot possibly focus on fighting them. And, and the trick to surviving this whole thing, like you said, is going to be uniting and recognizing who is the real threat and then orienting on that and taking care of business. And that's going to require, it's going to require a, a huge effort, both in communication and in spreading the message, which I'm not hopeful for, but I am hopeful for the fact that enough people will unite behind the right banner. And I think you're on the, you're the right path. Bruce, I know you got something to say. Um, I was just, the, the things that Dave was saying, uh, you know, I think I brought this up last time, but uh, it was just making me think of the guy, uh, if, if you guys have heard of Selko Begovic, he wrote a, a book about, uh, uh, several books about surviving in Yugoslavia. And he talked about how, 
you know, the critical thing for people was to recognize when the rule of law actually physically broke down in their location. And if, if you were behind the curve on that, you were in deep doo-doo. And I think like the whole discussion of the tribal versus non-tribal thing is, is that, you know, we're bringing in all these tribal mentality people and the, the challenge for Americans is going to be, are you able to make this switch to a tribal mentality fast enough to protect yourself? And um, so I think that's that's going to be a key factor. Um, the other thing I just keep thinking about, you know, we're we're watching all the uh, farmer protests in Europe and everything. And we've got this convoy setting up, you know, on the border. And uh, now Colonel Chambers is talking about, you know, they're going to try to root out provocateurs but um they the are biggest thing I, the other okay. piece of that which is a good call out thanks for that is yeah. you know three things with that so i told pete that i would push this um on the channel so people knew what was going on he's pushing peaceful protest he's organizing people on the ground to call out the feds and they are going to escort them off the premises and third, and most importantly, this is not going to happen in Eagle Pass. It's in a different different part of the um, the state, probably not that far away. The point is, it, everybody in social media is talking about that it's going to be infiltrated. It's going to be January 6th. I don't think so. I, I know Pete Chambers. And if he's working with the group that's doing this, he's working with people that have a plan, that are making a plan that are executing a plan so the feds don't take this over. So yeah, I would say it, it, even if it does happen, this is something to support because more than anything else, the one thing we need right now is something to rally around. Yes. Whether that's a collective group, whether that's a revival, I don't give a shit what it is. We need something to rally around. Sorry, go ahead, Bruce. Well, I was just going to piggyback on that. And and what, what I was thinking maybe we should talk about is, you know, the, it seems like the farmer protests in Europe are being pretty successful. And the I think what we maybe should spend some time thinking about here is how do we help, you know, chambers and the convoy? Like, what can we do to make it more successful? And one thing that has occurred to me that I think would be key is bringing in the idea of flash mobs for patriots. And the, and the thing is, is like they could do over uh, overpass protests. They could do uh, on the side of the road protests, things that support the convoys, but they organize locally and they do it like in a three day time frame, so that there's no way for feds to get inside that OODA loop because it's so short. I think that's one key way that the convoy organizers and, and other people that want to participate could, could do it with minimal risk. That's an excellent tactic, by the way. I can remember in the 80s, uh, Soviet Soviet uh, people in, in uh, East, I think it was East Germany, openly bragging about how quickly they could arrange protesters in the West. And of course, that was the time people were talking about bringing in Pershing missiles and things like that. But it's a very effective tactic. Um, when you can generate crowds almost at the snap of a finger. But hey, nowadays, what do we got? We've got Antifa that's trained to do exactly that. And uh, I think it's a good point. If we were better organized, we could uh, 
come up with some some type of uh, analog to that. Yeah, that's kind of my point. It's like take some of their tactics. So I, I wanted to shout out to a couple of people in the channel that I've watched all these. This is probably the most interactive chat we've had. So for those of you listening, Steve has managed to harness the power of dark magics to pipe in rumble. I don't think you got telegram on there yet, but we can see the, uh, we can see the comments flying by while we're, while we're on live here. So um, a couple of, couple of points. So first of all, the, the thing with suicide and PTSD, most people who get depressed and kill themselves, kill themselves because they're well-fed, they're sheltered, all of those, um, you know, Pavlonian needs are met and they get inside their own head and they start to think about things and they get depressed and then they're at risk for suicide. Most people who live in shithole countries and they're in survival mode actually don't have a high, uh, propensity for suicide because they're now worried about their comfort. Are you cold? Do you need shelter? Is there food to eat? I'm wounded. I need safety. It's an, it's an interesting thing and it's kind of sad and tragic at the same time. But, you know, I mean, will there be people that might just decide to check out, you know, in the first 72 hours of a major disaster if they, if they don't see a, a quick resolve or an end to it? Probably there will be a few. Um, I'm more worried about all of the ones that are going to run out of their psychosomatic drugs along the way, and then they're going to be a danger to themselves and others. But outside of that box, I think most people are going to kind of follow along with the, the last uh, speech and uh, John Galt made. So if you guys have read the book Atlas Shrugged, or if you've listened to the audio book Atlas Shrugged, I think you should. But John Galt, at the very end of the at the very end of the book was just basically saying you need to be your best self and it it completely shatters this whole global mindset of communism and collectivism and you know all the people looking for free shit everybody gets a pass everybody gets a trophy everybody gets a good grade when we get down to brass tacks and it's up to you to figure out how to protect you yourself your family procure resources water all that other stuff People are going to have to figure it out. And so just and, and just like in Atlas Shrugged is that just because you know you're hungry, just because you know you're thirsty and you need to drink, it doesn't mean that you have the skills to go and get water or go and kill game and figure out how to clean it and cook it. You know what your needs are, but what is your capability to fulfill your needs? And when you take society away, when you take away that safety net, when you take away welfare, when you take away, I'm just going to bum food off my neighbor. Or I'm just going to go to a, you know, some some uh, mercantile and I'm going to rob it unmitigated. You're going to run out of those resources, and then it's going to be up to you to figure out how to serve your needs. So, as what we were talking about on the phone is going to happen. First of all, people that do want to defend what they have are going to go tribal. They're going to pr start protecting their neighborhoods. They're going to start forming coalitions and confederations, and then all those other people who are just waiting for the government's uh you know wick card to recharge or their visa or they can't go walk into a gas station and steal candy bars and beer anymore they're going to be completely outcasted those are going to be your zombie class those are going to be the criminals they are going to very quickly burn out or get killed out because they don't have any actual skills to meet those impulsive needs that they have but they don't have any skills to meet their survival needs either so 
again, if you add that to the, the stack of, of enemies that I, you know, that I talked about earlier, you're going to have people that have no life skills and no capability. And yeah, they are going to try to turn into predators initially, but that, that plan is not going to, not going to bode very well for them. And the second thing is the, uh, you know, what kind of things do we store up? Uh, and I'll let Steve talk to the, uh, the ask that we got as far as uh, the, uh, redoing water procurement, but the propane water, diesel stoves, wood, charcoal, uh, there's been a lot of discussion in the chat about what to stockpile. And I think gas is probably the worst thing that you can stockpile, uh, but not everybody has a diesel truck or a diesel generator. I've had a lot of discussions with, with other people in, in my peer group about propane. I'm a big believer in propane because it's cheap, it's accessible, um, it's a very low density fuel, but propane will run a heater for a long time. It'll, it'll, you know, you can convert a gasoline generator to run propane. You can buy the parts to convert a gasoline generator into a propane generator when you run out of fuel. Uh, you can't really do that with diesel generators, but stockpiling things like bar, you know, 20 pound barbecue tanks or the, the 30 pound ones that go on RVs. I don't really see that being a, a bad plan. Um, and then of course, you know, depending on where you are regionally, falling back to stoves that, that use a wood and charcoal, other than the noise, light, and, and uh, aromatic disciplines that you're violating when you use those things. It's, it's not a bad idea to have a secondary method of, of cooking. So I'll, uh, I'll pause out on that. Yeah, that's a good point. And the, the other, to answer a couple of questions. So Cass, you asked me if I'm going to Texas. I'm not, not, not yet. I'm not going. And I'll, and I'll tell everybody why. I don't go into somebody else's AO without telling them and asking them first that, you know, I'm not going to disrupt their ops. And I know Pete Chambers, uh, he's a, he's a both a, a, a contact and a friend, and I'm not going to go into his AO without telling him explicitly and asking him if that's okay. And I'm sure he would be okay, but I'm not going to make that assumption. And the other side of the fence is I told him that I would promote the uh, the trucker convoy as much as possible. And that's part of the agreement we have. So that I know that probably doesn't resonate with a lot of people. But trust me when I say this, if you're going to go into another battalion AO's uh, battalion commander's AO, you do it with the utmost professional courtesy. And with Pete Chambers, he's he's a an amazing dude on more than just the the social media level this guy drives all over the state he meets with all kinds of people he's a texas ranger he's the real deal just like michael yawn matt bracken real deal everybody on this call is dedicated to this country you don't just show up in somebody's doorstep unannounced you make it an announced thing you go down there and you you do it the right way with the utmost professional courtesy and humility. And and trust me, I would not do that to anybody. Even even Flynn, who I've given you know my fair share of shit to, I would not show up in his doorstep without him knowing I was going to be there. So there's that. What if I show up at your doorstep with a half-empty six-pack holder of beer? Uh, vomit on my shirt and a and a cigar. <laughs> this doesn't involve Weight Watchers, does it? No, I, I would say you're on the wrong alcohol because I'm on my second <laughs> glass of scotch right now. Just so you know. <laughs> hey, that's cheating. <laughs> that's not cheating. That's called preemptive strike.
<laughs> Are you drinking that cola? I can neither confirm nor deny said alcohol is present. However, there is an inventory of said alcohol in the proper section. So I, I turned Steve on to my, fav my favorite single malt, which is cola. And for those of you that don't know, uh, scotch is generally single malt. And then you have the blended scotch whiskeys like uh, black label, red label. Like, you know, it goes, uh, goes down the line like that. And cola is the uh, probably one of the most sold to the the other uh, distillers, the people that, that build blended blended scotch and even Irish whiskeys, they use a lot of koala. So getting a a bottle of koala from the Isle of Isla, so it's a smoky kind of scotch, but it's a very balanced scotch. And the, the best way to explain it is back in the '80s, they had those equalizers with the 500 little things that you could bring up and down. Koala is, is like all of those zeroed out all the way across, and they actually distill the scotch from the urine of a thousand Celtic virgins. And it's very hard to find that many virgins in Scotland. It's hard to find one or two. So a thousand of them, I mean, think about that at scale. So anyway, it's an excellent scotch. And I know Steve has some because he took a picture of it, but I'm the one that turned him on to it. So I'm, hopefully you're enjoying that. Oh, for what I it's worth, shamelessly took credit for that, which is what every lieutenant colonel would do, is shamelessly take credit for somebody else's work. Let me address something in the chat. You guys are talking about ashwagandha. What's, what's good about ashwagandha is that it takes the cortisol out of your system. And I take it every day. I take at least 1,000 milligrams every day. So if you sit around and you're a stress case, it will help you and help your body do a lot of things. Ashwagandha, um, if you, again, I've talked about beef liver, root cause protocol. If you look those up, those three are great for your diet and as supplements if you're going to take them. But remember, moderation with everything right so your body will tell you what's what's too much and what's not enough remember that so and i want to ask colonel conrad some because he's a brigade planner and uh division we got a division we got a planner <laughs> whatever dude whatever still hey guys, a planner. Step out or the home front's not going to be happy with me so well we got 10 minutes left so let's Let's do closing comments, and then I want to ask Colonel Conrad a specific question. So given everything we've talked about tonight, what do you think the enemy's most dangerous and most likely course of action are going to be? And this is off the top of your head, so I, I don't expect a perfect, well-researched answer. I just want, what does Dave Conrad think the enemy's most dangerous and most likely course of action are? And then your well, closing comments. Most likely course of action is going to be the confluence of, of multiple lines of effort, well-coordinated, uh, because they've been planning for years, uh, and we're talking about things like uh, eliminating or, or greatly stressing the, the food supply, um, isolating elements of our population, particularly in urban areas, generating uh, racial strife, um, all of the steps that they need to to initiate uh, strife between us as opposed to allowing us to focus against the deep state. That's, that's, uh, that's what they're out to achieve. This will happen most likely in, in just a few months prior to the, uh, to the election. If now we don't know what they're decision will be do we get to an election 
do they have a candidate that's that's viable? Does Michelle step forward? There's a lot of questions like that. Whatever they decide to do, um, the exact timing will will be based on those pivotal decisions, so that uh, they can achieve the goal of of either preempting the election in in uh, in in need to get the War Powers Act declared and martial law for their own ends, or if they think they've got a viable chance of just winning outright, you know, pushing ahead with things. But they'll they'll also collapse the banks, uh, the financial system. Uh, you take a look at where things are going in terms of our inability to keep up with the mounting and spiraling uh, interest, compounding interest rates, things like that. Um, it's all going to come to a focal point uh, in a fairly short period of time before the election. That's the most likely course of action, which will cause catastrophic uh, ripples throughout our society and uh, disrupt everything. Most dangerous course of action is going to be the involvement of um, most especially the coordination of foreign powers. We're talking about the Chinese government. We're talking about the Venezuelan government. We're talking about any number of governments that, that want to see us ended, um, which which would uh, involve coordinating troop movements and things like that from these these populations of of immigrants within the country um, that have been given uh, cell phones with certain apps on them to help them coordinate and furthermore uh, given the locations of ammunitions weapons other things that they would need to conduct a full-scale guerrilla war against the people of this country And that's the most dangerous course. Final thoughts, Bruce. You said uh, Bruce had to uh, get ready to go, so I let let him cue in there. Oh, um, yeah, I, <laughs> no pressure. I, I just have a few. I'm thinking more short term right now. Um, I feel like we're going to learn an awful lot in the next week or two with what happens in the Middle East and Iran. I think that how that plays out is going to help us see is it is it some kind of arrangement where they're trying to create a war together for mutual advantageous you know goals or is it truly they want to go take out iran somehow um and i think that will drive then the after the second third order effects that are going to happen after uh that decision is made for us um and uh so that's what i see short term and with that, I need to get going or my uh, home friends not going to be happy. <laughs> All right, so, Bruce. Have a good night, guys. Good night. Have a good night See to you. you. See you. Bye. So I, I'm really frightened because uh, Colonel Conrad's assessment is uh, on the, uh, the most likely course. I've already written down what I was going to say on that. So the the most dangerous course is that they deny freedom of movement in the south china sea and they go all in and my uh my estimate is that they're going to attack hong kong first and then taiwan they're going to take both of them um but i think i think hong kong's higher on the on the priority of a target list than than taiwan and then taiwan's secondary and they're probably going to waffle but the militarization of the South China Sea and controlling the, or not controlling, but denying uh, movement 
in that area. And then from that, that's going to blossom out to all the other Asian countries in the area. But the most likely course of events, and we're talking, and I'm not talking about China helping Russia building drones, uh, you know, passing resources along their border, uh, you know, providing intelligence services to Iran. The the most dangerous course of action would be they're just going to move forward and they're going to wait until our military, which I believe it already is, but they're going to wait till it's it's so depleted and so incapable of doing anything that they're the U.S. military is just not going to be a threat when they decide to move on Hong Kong. So they're going to figure out what that is. They're going to be figuring out what the inventory is of, you know, of, of missile batteries that are on our, our seaborne ships and stuff like that. I mean, they want to know what our reach is, what our locations are, what our capabilities are. And when, they, when they're depleted to the point where they pretty much can just march into Hong Kong and uh, Taiwan, they're going to do that. But to, for, for the U.S. specifically, though, they hold a lot of U.S. debt. They want to get this BRICS thing moving, which I think is going to fail, just like the EU and the and the euro is on its way out. But you know they're going to do their little thing now, where all these all these countries that have their own self interest are banding together, and it's it's almost a kind of a parallel psychologically to people who want to vote for Trump or people who are going to vote for anybody but Trump. The BRICS thing isn't this mutually negotiated thing where they're they're developing a commonwealth so that they can benefit each other and achieve economic prosperity autonomous from the u.s what they're doing is they're building this consortium specifically to target the u.s and the u.s dollar so china is definitely going to be looking at moving all of the u.s debt and i could see them just mass sell-off i mean think about the amount of property that they own here now and they started buying property during the recession and, you know, between 2006 and 2008, they could just dump all of that on the market as they're moving all of their U.S. debt around. They could completely deflate us. That would destroy BlackRock and, and Chase and then move all of their gold assets and everything else officially and formally into the BRIC system. That would be economically devastating for the United States. And so I, I think that's the most likely course of action for the U.S. specifically, and then the secondary, the most dangerous thing that they could do at that point, once they realize that we're totally depleted and we're on our heels, is go ahead and, you know, execute the cyber attacks on the United States, put us on our heels just long enough to put, you know, some landing landing crews and operational control into those two targets on, you know, on their southern border. So that's, that's what I think they're going to do. I'm going to disagree with that. I think the most dangerous enemy course of action is to turn off psychosomatic drugs and Pornhub that would decimate the U.S. in about 24 hours. Just saying. Well, it would certainly as disappoint as, Hunter Biden. Absolutely. And that's, exa <laughs> that's exactly where I was going with that. Because, I mean, this is a guy who took hookers and blow to a whole new level and got away with it. We got we to gotta add that in. But he but, brought his uh, family members into it, for God's sakes. Oh, my God. I mean, there's the, the Ashley Biden diary, which talks about dad taking showers with her mm -hmm. at a young age. Then there's the Hunter tapes, which is hookers and blow all over the U.S. at nauseum. So I'm just saying, I think the most dangerous enemy course of action would be to do away with Pornhub and do away with psychosomatic drugs because we would be in a free fall at that point. Just saying. So, 
you guys didn't answer the question, which I'm going to get back to the question. Dave, yes. closing comments for the audience. Closing comments. Well, I got in late here because uh, I had some, my mother's in the hospital with her other serious condition, and I had to talk to my brother about that. But uh, so I missed a lot of the preemptory discussion. I think um, I think we've got to realistically look at a Wait minimum. a second. Wait a second. I get barraged with comments every single week that people want to know what Colonel Conrad thinks of the current situation and what they can do. And I know this puts you on your feet, which is great, by the way. I'm you get you get you get barraged with questions about absolutely what, I, what does Colonel Conrad think we should be doing right now? And you got a you got a huge fan base too. You Dan. do. They want you. They want you to start your own show because I suck. And I'm. You I am not. the voice voice of reason. Isn't <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Isn't that it? We are two unhinged unhinged shills, and so you are the voice of reason. So the, please the give us the voice of reason. Impart wisdom, huh? <laughs> oh boy! Um, In fact, when you enter the room, they hear all hail. No, uh, I, I, I hardly, I hardly think that. Well, they don't, um, they don't care who they give the the launch key A to, as long as you get launch key B. That's probably true. That so, way, there's not an A and B. It's two. It's now it's one key and three co-op switches. So you have to turn all four at the same time. Just so we're perfectly clear. Thanks for the comment about uh, prayers for my mother. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the situation is stable. And if I could get some of the people in the medical community in San Antonio, Texas, uh, get their head out of their ass, um, <laughs> I would feel a whole lot better. It's just amazing uh, throughout our our society and the level of malfeasance even in, in professional ranks that, uh, that we have to deal with at times, which is a shame. So back to the question, back to the question. Um, what do I think people should be doing? The first thing everyone has to do is make a personal assessment of your own situation. Steve talks about line of sight, sphere of influence. You've got to start there because we all have different situations. You've got to be realistic in, in what you're assessing. Do you have um, do you have the things you need for the most basic uh, needs under dire circumstances? Troop does an excellent job talking about food, water, uh, energy, all of these these kinds of things. Steve talks about coordinating uh, and organizing amongst groups of people, reaching out to people so you know who belongs in your neighborhood, who doesn't. Make an honest to God personal assessment as realistically as possible and then you're going to have to match that up just like we used to do in the intel community with your threat assessment where are you i mean a person living in the inner city has a very different circumstance than a person living in the suburbs than a person living in the country and so um, you're going to have to take a look and and see are you going to be able to stay where you are or are you going to have to move? You're going to have to pick up and move on short notice. People talk about bug out bags and things like that. And I often ask myself, really, where are you going? You're going to go stay in a hotel along with everybody else and their brother. Um, you've got to, 
you've got to uh, be realistic in these assessments. There's a lot of, Steve, you're always talking about people who want to kick in doors, and you raise a good point. Um, whose door are we going to kick in, and to what end? To what end? Uh, and so these are these are complex questions. Once once you make that self-assessment and you compare it to the threat assessment, you're going to have to take a look at your deficiencies and what kind of remedial action you need to take. Um, I would certainly talk about about who you can count on in your community. Steve, you frequently make good points, and so do you, Troop, about understanding and assessing what are the real capabilities that you need in your group. It's almost like a special forces team. Uh, you, you may need a mechanic. You may need a doctor. You may need, uh, you're probably not going to need a lawyer, hopefully not. But, um, you know, good medical care. Uh, you need people with food resources. You need people with defensive skills. And, of course, you need some leadership element as well. So everyone has to, has to uh, you know, determine what their own personal squad, their own personal platoon, what the people around them bring to the fight and uh, match that up against, um, against what they know is likely to, present, them to uh, present the greatest threat to them. And once you've met those needs, um, start thinking about the unexpected. Start, start wargaming the situation as, as effectively and realistically as you can. There's, there's nothing that was more helpful to me in three decades of military service um, from as, as, as an infantryman, as an armor officer, as, as a uh, intelligence officer, as a planner, uh, you've got to war game the situation and you've got to take the time. And, and if it takes, if it means setting pen to paper or if it means getting a map and, and developing your own personal battle plan. Um, whatever you need to do to get organized and do that. Uh, get off the schneid. Keep in mind that every minute you're wasting right now may be critical towards your own survival in a matter of months from now. I'm not talking two or three months. I'm talking you know, more like uh, six to eight months. But um, use the time as effectively as possible. I don't think you can be overprepared. It's just like any defensive position. You keep you keep building. You keep outfitting. And uh, yeah, it's just look look for weakness, and then take a look at the people around you. Once you're satisfied with your situation and your condition, help educate other people. I I think you know there's times when people say, "Well, you guys aren't taking action. You're just talking about things." The more people that we can wake up, the more people that we can get to turn the corner, the more comrades, the more allies we're going to have at hand, the less explaining and convincing we're going to need to do when shit's hitting the fan. We don't know if what's what's going to happen in the next year is going to be the worst case scenario or if it's going to be fairly mild. I tend to think it's going to be... So, Something very, very serious, uh, and I think potentially a lot, a lot more serious than most people think. And uh, you know, take a look at your vehicles. I'm personally, I've got a truck with 140,000 miles and a transmission. I'm getting a little bit questionable towards practical things like this. 
And right now I'm thinking I need to roll over this truck. I need to I need to turn it in and exchange it for something that's going to be a little more reliable because I can't afford to be dealing with an unreliable vehicle eight months from now. Simple things like that can make a big difference in uh, in what comes next. So I could go on and on, but that's just off the top of my head. Um, it, you know, the old saying, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. It, uh, if, if the worst doesn't happen, you're in good stead going forward. If, if, uh, things arise down the road. Hurrah. Attack. Ah, love that shit. Uh, so Cass, short answer, be prepared to see, you know, and, and I love the comments while you're talking, Dave. It's fantastic. Yeah, look at this rating. It's fantastic. <laughs> like, I didn't know you had your own channel. Do you have your own channel on, on Telegram? I think I mean, inquiring, uh, inquiring minds want to know because everyone's every, following every, you on Telegram. If you're on Telegram, you have to have something, right? I'm, I'm not uh, broadcasting or active or anything like that. Well, you should probably put that out to people so they know how to follow you because it sounds like you're gaining quite the following. Just, well, just so you know. I'm I'm trying to keep up with the uh, <laughs> the deluge of personal challenges on a daily basis. Let alone adding to that. Is, well, uh, there's that. Inundated. <laughs> hey, Troop, I know you got a lot to say. So, closing comments. Yes, I'm I'm having poor man's rye. So, for my birthday, I wanted a ref a little mini fridge. Ooh, troop, troop, and troop, troop. Let me interrupt you real quick. I, I apologize. I just have to say this, um, and and. Just for the record, my drug of choice is rusty nail, which is scotch and drambuie. But Drambui? I, 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 scotch and drambuie. Sounds like a disease. Oh, no, it's ecstasy. But what, what I want to pass on to people, uh, there is a there is a uh, liqueur that I came across. I think it was Edinburgh, Edinburgh Castle, excuse me, uh, or it might have been Sterling Castle. But when I was in Scotland a few years ago, called Bruadar, Bruadar, spelled like it sounds. It is the nectar of the gods. It is absolutely fantastic. And if you like scotch, uh, Bruadar is fantastic. I When I got back, I actually ordered a case. I don't know that you can get it domestically without uh, placing an order. But people should look that up. And if you're, if you're an aficionado of uh, malted liqueurs, then... Uh, there you go. There's your tip for the day, Troop. All right. I, I don't remember that from Scotland, but I remember the Iron Brew. Iron Brew is everywhere. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, investigate that. If you want to send me a link to that, I'll. Uh, I know we can acquire it on the online. Brew. Absolutely. Oh, uh, uh, the Brudar and um, is, did you say Rusty Nail or Rusty Rail? Rusty Nail. Rusty Nail, and I can look that up on a, a mixed drink library and the Drambui and the Scotch. I'll try that out. I normally don't mix my my uh, scotch, but I'll I'll try that out. So the uh, the closing thoughts that would uh, what Colonel Conrad was saying. It, first of all, some of you that live in evac zones like Florida or what you know wherever you have hurricanes and and mainly uh, you know water type of things, um, you already know where to go or you're already familiar with going through the exercise of having to evacuate. I think most of the rest of the country that doesn't have those type of weather events doesn't evacuate. So that's an important consideration. Um, we had a, a request 
for me to go through all of my water videos that I've done. So I have the, the trooper channel on telegram. It's trooper, just like it sounds underscore channel. Uh, and it's for domesticated terrorist pets, you know, like all of us listeners on the phone. And I did that basically as a fuck you to the FBI. So they, you know, they're on there too. That's why I always start my videos with hello friends and feds. Cause you know, they're welcome on the channel too. I mean, water self-reliance is an important topic, but um, the, what I've done is my editing process is, oh, I have this thing I'm going to share. So I aim my phone at it. I hit record. I do the thing. I stop. I upload. And I don't do meta tagging or, or anything, right? So over the last few years, we've uh, we've just built this massive library of stuff, but it's not indexed at all. Uh, so, uh, so I've been trying to go back and re-tag some of that with metadata. But it was just easier to for the for the ask that we got uh, recently to just redo some of the some of the basic videos on water. Uh, so I wanted to kind of touch on the evac zone thing. So you should have portable water that you can you know that you can roll with. Um, and I I remastered or re-released. I just redid them actually. I think four or five videos. I'm not sure, Steve. I posted them to my channel, and then I posted them to the LTC Murray channel, uh, LTC Stephen Murray on Telegram which is Steve's uh, Telegram channel. And the first one is the, you've been complacent and you haven't done anything for your self-reliance. So what's the fastest way to get water right now? And it's just a video that goes over getting a 55 gallon food safe drum and you can get them from Pet Supply. You can order one, uh, generally get them from the secondary market and you can get them for between 30 and $50. And they may have had corn syrup or vinegar or, or whatever in them but they do a good job of rinsing them out and you can throw two of them in the back of a pickup truck, bring them to your house, put them on top of an old tire or on the side of your house and just fill them up with hose water. And that hose water is going to have enough residual chlorine in it to keep that water uh, potable for six months. And then the rest of the videos follow along shows you how to make a simple siphon to get the water out of that, how to maintain that water once you have it, basically dropping, you know, uh, calcium hypochlorite or, or bleach in, in the water and a very quick and dirty, um, how to use a Sawyer inline filter, the, the stages of making water ready to drink. I, I have a, a whole thing from acquisition to straining to, you know, pre-filtering. And uh, I broke it just down to the brass tacks of, if you get a 55 gallon drum and you fill it up with hose water and you need to consume that water, the only thing that you need to do is pour it out, chlorinate it, um, you put some activa uh, activated carbon granules in the, I'm using a two liter like soda bottle, uh, and then that will absorb any of the residual chlorine after half an hour of treatment and then screw an inline filter, a Sawyer inline filter on the end of that two liter bottle. And now you got two liters of potable water. Uh, I show you with the with the simple little uh, siphon mechanism that you can make. You can bring your bucket out there to flush your toilet. You can bring your pot out there to boil water. Uh, I talk about when you need to boil. Uh, that's not the preferred method. How long you need to chlorinate. Uh, why we use activated carbon on on city water supplies and stored water supplies. So I did all of these videos. Or I think there's like five of them. And I just posted them on Steve's channel, and it is literally the everything that you need to know about emergency water storage for the minimum amount of investment, the minimum amount of effort, and the maximum amount of results. And if you like that, then go to my channel or the Trooper Archive channel, and we go way in the weeds on, you know, all of the other all of the other Trooper stuff we do. But you know, as you know, for me, water is number one and and number two. 
on my list of important stuff. And I think most of us like me are, are kind of built around the castle doctrine of this is my home. I've worked most of my life to, to pay for the shit that's in that home and I'm not giving it up for nobody. So unless there's a nuclear cloud coming toward, you know, toward my house and I need to evacuate, um, this is, this is my Alamo. And, and so I've built up my, my structure that way. And just for one last thing, is I do my videos with common stuff. Like uh, the, today I, I took old irrigation uh, trash and I, I asset recovery the stuff out of it that I needed to build the siphon to go into the drum. And I right there real time, uh, you know, purified that water and, and consumed it. So it's not, it isn't go, go click on my link for Amazon affiliate shit fairy, you know, show up to the door the next day. This is for people that don't have money that are poor that need to, make the right decisions with the limited amount of finances that they have and and don't always have all of that all that high-speed technology at their disposal so so i have a little bit of stuff because i've been doing this a long time but i am mindful when i do those videos that this is you procuring resources in an austere environment in order to achieve the objective of survival and that's that's the the fit format and flavor of a lot of videos that i do so we had a request uh, to, to put uh, some new content out there. And so there, it's on Steve's channel and my channel right now. And it's going to go on the way forward when uh, the, the Rumble channel called the way forward as soon as we get organized. And uh, and I, I have to do a shout out to all of my admins because this show is not possible without the folks that participate that's Colonel Conrad, Colonel Johnson, Colonel Piper, Trooper, Matt Bracken. This would not be possible. And next week, we're, we're going to have probably Jordan Sather. So we're going to have a full quorum next week. <laughs> this, this does not happen without their dedication. And as much as you want to, uh, to say it, it's all me, I don't do this by myself. My Telegram channel is managed by, first of all, Troops and admin, um, Danger Doug, by the way, who is a 30-year chief in the Navy. And for those of you who don't know why that's important, let me tell you why that's important. So in the Army, we have sergeant majors for sergeants. They don't have weapons release authority. On a Navy ship, a chief who wears khakis, and it's a big deal, when you make chief in the Navy, you wear the khakis like officers do. It's a big deal. There's chief, there's senior chief, and there's master chief. And that means something on a Navy ship or a Navy boat, depending on which service you're in. And Danger Doug is a 30-year veteran of the United States Navy. First of all, thanks for your service. Thanks for your support. And most importantly, thanks for the feedback. Because every week he gives me a critique, which is what all chiefs should do, of our performance on this show. And you may not know it, but I listen to all of my admins. And that may sound trivial to you, but my admins text me, they call me, they send me messages in a variety of formats. D Danger Doug is just one of them. There's, there's, uh, ESS, who sends me feedback on the content, Ron M228, who literally cleans my channel with Dale Gribble, who cleans the channel of all the bots, and they do yeoman's work to keep the channel 
clean of all the BS that shows up. Then I have Centurion, I have Wendy, and I have Patriot Berserker who keep the channel clean of all the shills and they keep us abreast of what's going on at the border, what's going on in the southern counties of Arizona, which matters. And most importantly, PB literally, he attitude checks me on a regular basis and he attitude checks the room. And you might not think that that's important, but trust me when I say this, all of these channels, all of this notoriety and all the other stuff, you get to the point of saturation where you can't respond to everybody. You want to, but you can't. And they take care of all of that. And then I have Vasilius, who is, in, for lack of a better word, a savant. He's got he's a, a genius. Stack. He has, he's a genius. He's got, Absolutely. He's, the smartest guy on the team. Dude, he's got a Twitter channel. I can't even keep up with him. And he's the guy that did the intro. And he did it on his own time. In addition to the fact he's producing a movie, he's got a sub stack, he's got a Twitter channel. So I'm surrounded by in incredibly intelligent people. I am not doing this by myself. Everybody that I have mentioned, everyone, without exception, loves this country. All of them. Take it in. Dave, you had a question before that. No, I, I don't care. I don't care. You had your 15 minutes of the mic. I, I, I do want to say, I do want to say one thing. I saw something in the comments. Somebody said, uh, Tex Armandela 76 said, Connell rad is a channel and it wouldn't have joined except I thought LTC Conrad was in a group. I don't know what Connell rad is, but it has nothing to do with me. I'm not in any such it's group. A it's a channel that was, yeah, suffice it to say it, it was a channel that I don't know if it's a channel on telegram, but it was, it was a channel somewhere else. So, yeah. I, I just wanted to put out the comment. I, I don't know what it is and I'm not in that just group. Just means you're a rock star, man. You're Taylor Swift. <laughs> really Those cool are fighting name. words, pal. You need a really <laughs> cool gang name and a really, really hot girlfriend to be in that ranks now. Just saying. Sorry, the low hanging fruit, man. You, you Colonel, Colonel Conrad's so emotionally balanced that if he had his own Telegram <laughs> channel, we wouldn't be allowed on it. Absolutely. <laughs> Colonel Murray, you're too unhinged and too raw to be on my channel. Roger, sir. I'm fired. Uh, yes, sir. Well, I will say this, though. I, I, we couldn't do this show every week without the people around me. And it, that may sound trivial to some of you, but trust me when I say this, I can't manage Telegram by myself. And um, I'm leaving out Krista um, because she's one of my admins too. And she does yeoman's work, posting things, researching things, ferreting things. All of us contribute. And we do this because we want our country back. And we're in a marathon, folks. We are not in a sprint. If you think this is going to be over quickly, you are sorely mistaken. This is a sprint. War is a marathon. We are in a war for the soul of our country. We are in a war for the soul of our race. And not white, black, the soul of humanity. This isn't a racial question. This is a humanity question. And the people that we are fighting, the elite, they are all satanic. They are all 
into very, very dark things, things that you can't even imagine. And we have to be above board on everything we do. Whether or not you agree with that or not, doesn't matter. We have to be above board. And that means we wear the white gloves. I got one that's more hard. thing, Steve, when you're Hang ready. On. That's 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 hard for most of you to imagine. But the salient advice here, know who's around you. Know what they can do. Know where they're supposed to be. Know when they're supposed to be there. And question everything else. Start from the aspect that everything you see is BS and work your way backwards to the truth. Don't start with it's the truth and I have to work to disinformation. Start with it's bullshit and work towards what's true. And when I mean bullshit, I mean bullshit. There's a lot of bullshit right now in everything we see. You heard us talk about the Syrian border tonight. All of us have an opinion. But what you heard unanimously is that none of this fits a script that we're all used to. You're going to see more and more and more of that as the craziness continues. The best thing you can do for yourselves, your community, and the people that you care about is remain calm, lose the fear, and stay grounded in what you can see in your line of sight and your sphere of influence. If you leave those two things, you've lost the war. Troop, go ahead. So all of us, as Steve said, do a lot of work for the Republic, and we only care about our way of life and a Republic in this country being the beacon of hope for others that want to find their own liberty and be given the chance to succeed or fail. So I think it's appropriate that we recognize some of our fellow patriots and active participants when they when they perish and when they fall. And one of them I wanted to bring attention to is Lisa Blankenship. So Lisa was one of the co-founders of EasyAZ.org here in Arizona. And the reason why this, it, it shocked me when I read this the other day, she died in her sleep the other night. This woman came to the United States from Canada and she worked to get her full citizenship before the election so that she could vote for Trump in 2020. And she has been the model of, a, of an immigrant patriot and a powerhouse that has been an active participant in politics and changing legislation in Arizona and being all in on election integrity. She worked the audit. She supports Marissa Hamilton. Uh, it, she is basically was the backbone of that organization and she she passed away uh, in her sleep a couple days ago, and it it emotionally affected me because we're always talking about. I mean, Steve and I, you know, I'll have a cigar bar day the the first Thursday of the month, or we'll take people to the gun range for free, and we you know we'll, we're lucky if we get three to five patriots to show up. And this woman was at it every single day, and she's she's literally had a transformative effect on our state and her legacy is going to be hopefully inspiring all those active participants that that were brought into the ranks of activism from her so i'm just i, I feel compelled to recognize her Her name was lisa blankenship and they set up a give butter like bread and butter for her and that's under the lisa the h-e-l-a-s-a she's having her 
celebration of life. And she, you know, she's not a rich woman, her and her husband, they're just like everybody else. They're, you know, blue collar people that love America. And uh, her, her husband is, and her family is suffering a pretty significant loss as well as the, the activist movement here in Arizona. So I appreciate uh, giving me time to, to, to share her story, but she was literally every, everything that exemplifies the type of patriot that we want in the United States for all of those that say we're racist MAGA Republicans and all that other stuff. This is an immigrant of a foreign country that came here because she believes in liberty she did everything that she possibly could in her life here, which is very short, uh, you know, from, from 2020 when she became a citizen to three days ago when she died. But in that amount of time, she's done more for the United States and more for this Republic than a hundred thousand everyday Americans who were born here natively. So I'd like to thank, I would like to just recognize that. And I'm thankful that she was here and I'm sorry that she's gone. Thank you, Steve, for that. Hello. And, I I think so. This this story has been circling around Telegram, and I'm glad you brought that up, Troop. Because look, so many things happen during the week that we can't cover. It, we need to mourn those who support our way of life. And there's not, believe it or not, there's not a hell of a lot of them left. Despite what you may think, what matters is that. All of us love our country. All of us. I don't care who you are. We wouldn't be on this podcast right now if we didn't care about or love our country. So if you hear anything tonight, hear the fact that you have a group of patriots that are trying to get you and everybody else prepared for what's coming. We don't know what that is. We're speculating. But whatever's coming is not going to be good for us. And we want you to be prepared. I don't do this for money. I don't do this for, I, in fact, as soon as this situation resolves, I'm going to go live a quiet life with a very beautiful woman. And I am not going to look back from this and go, I'm glad I did that. I'm going to look back from this and go, I wished I would have spent more time with her. But I have a sense of duty like these gentlemen here. And I am not going to forsake my oath that I took, which never expires because of the fact that my personal life outweighs my sense of duty. Most of you feel that way. You just don't want to say it. But you should start acknowledging that now's the time. And most importantly, the next several months are going to be very chaotic. We're a month into, into 2024, and look what we've already seen. You're going to see more, and it's going to be way worse than what it is right now. The best thing you can do for yourself, and I mean this for everybody, is get your head on straight, get on the right side of history, and get as prepared as you possibly can be. There is no rule book, playbook, or guidebook for how this is going to go. So there's three things you can do. And I always talk about threes. You know why I do that? Because everything comes in threes. Number one, stay grounded. Stay grounded in your reality and what you can see, feel, and touch. Number two, be cynical of everything you hear, see, and read. 
And number three, and most importantly, know who's supposed to be around you, who's not supposed to be around you, and be fucking militant about what you value. Because if you are not, you're going to eat some lettucillin very, very quickly. And if it doesn't look right, feel right, or your gut doesn't say it's right, it's not right. Do not fuck around when it comes to your gut. Listen to your gut. Your instincts are spirit telling you this is wrong. And it will save your life. And the most things in life always revolve around your gut instinct. Do not ever question your gut, especially in the next six months. We are at the threshold of the event horizon right now, between now and somewhere in the fall when we're supposed to have an election. Something big is coming. All of you can feel it. Do not tell me you do not. That's a lie. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to your friends. And trust me, you're crazy until you're not. Be the crazy person. Be ungovernable. And most importantly, don't second guess yourself. Don't second guess your gut. God bless everyone. One team, one fight. And the last thing I will say is that I put out to the Telegram channel the same thing I'm putting out to Rumble. We're trying to do T-shirts to support troops. 503C is nonprofit for what he does. He does the Lord's work every weekend. I want to be able to take whatever from these T-shirts that supports this community to support that. And this is a way to do that. And it's a way to do it in a way that is not taxable and it gives you not only a, a nonprofit write-off, but it gives you something in return. I need your help to come up with a t-shirt design. And, I, and I've said this before, I'm gonna say this out loud for all you Navy types. You're not gonna make this about you. I want the Army Star, the World War II Army Star, the Normandy Star with the stripes around it and some kind of a logo, one team, one fight, no fear, or, you know, fear no evil, whatever the case may be, I'm putting that out to the community, come up with the design, put it in the Telegram channel so that we can go put this thing into print and support troops nonprofit. That's my challenge to the community. God bless everyone. One team, one fight. Good night. Amen. Good night.